So I think it was on Twitter or something, I saw you posted this hack that you found on someone's site with these iPhone widgets. And I'm going to put it in the show notes for those of you listening. It'll be lukestory.com slash Maddie. So everything we talk about today will be in those show notes. But yeah, I think I saw it on your Instagram or Twitter or something. And it's this widget you can install on your iPhone or Android for that matter. And it's got, it puts four little buttons on the top of your phone and allows you to instantly kill switch all the EMF or the blue light on your phone. It's amazing. So thank you for finding that. And I didn't want to forget, so we will put that in the show notes. This is the one that's not mine. I know it's not <laughs> yeah. yours. Okay, yeah, yeah. No, I know it's not yours. I maybe shared it. But you I shared it. Saying. Yeah, yeah, okay. Did you or was it the other I, dude? I think it was the other guy who <laughs> shared so it. Funny. Yeah. yeah. All right, so backstory here. There's, this is a great start, though. There's a dude called what is it the blue, blue light, light diet, diet. Yeah. okay and i don't know who this man is but he, i think robbie something robbie, okay so yeah. robbie god bless um but your social medias are the light the diet. light diet okay yeah. so, so that's so funny you didn't <laughs> yeah, even yeah. Post that. it's there's a good background yeah there's okay background. so when i'm on twitter you guys and uh you know being on there way more than i should <laughs> especially considering I have no followers on Twitter, but that's kind of where I get my news and current events and stuff, right? So I think Maddie posts this thing about the blue light, but then I also see him posting all this shit posting to Jack from Twitter, Jack Dorsey. And Jack Dorsey is friends with our mutual friend, Rick Rubin. And I was, I was looking at those tweets and I kept seeing him like, dude, Matt is going like ballistic here on this guy who's like a friend of his friend. I was like, I guess he has conviction. He does. He gives zero shits, you know, and he's just doing it. Um, and then, yeah, and not then me. I, <laughs> and I texted you and I was like, bro, like, what are you doing? And you're like, that's not me. It's the other light diet account or whatever. Yeah. So that solves the whole mystery. Well, regardless of that fact, uh, we will put that amazing phone and it's free. It's just, you just have to go to this blog post and essentially just do what it says to do on your phone and just trust me you guys you're going to be stoked to be able to turn your phone red and turn off the emf at will um you know if so I, may, anyway. I remember when i first had the name the light diet so i don't recall for sure who had the light diet first i think this guy the blue light diet actually had that before i had the light diet but i had this idea the light diet like i want to do this and then that was kind of how it came to be. And I remember you said that you were like, maybe you should make it the sunlight diet because people are going to think it's like about eating salads. I remember very <laughs> yeah. clearly you said that to me. Yeah. And I was thinking to myself, yeah, but then as time went on, actually, I realized that it wasn't meant to be just about sunlight because, and so I'm glad I followed my gut on that one, that it shouldn't just be sunlight. It should be kind of general light because everything in my own experience has shown me that there's more to light and life than just sunlight, than just the external approach 100%. to light. 100%. And so that's that's I, been And really I can't wait journey. to dive in that. I know you've been getting into, for years now, the mitochondria, and the mitochondria produce light, and the food we eat is actually light. And yeah, I think, I think that's smart. The way, I mean, when you had that handle, I read it the way you meant it because I knew you and I knew that you're really into light. Mm -hmm. That's how we met. Um, 
but what I thought it sounded like was, you know, what have you been eating lately? Uh, mm-hmm. you, you looks like you lost a few pounds. And someone said, oh, I've been on a light diet. You know, mm-hmm. like, I've been yeah, eating lightly, right? That yeah. kind of thing. So that. Well, the, the, the irony of it is that I do think there's an aspect of that, which I didn't expect. But uh, in English, yeah, light and light have the same word, but two meanings, as in, of course, like light, electromagnetic waves, but then light, like lack of mass. But in other languages, it's not the same. You have, like in Spanish, luz is light, and ligera means, or ligero means light, like in ah, mass. Ah, like, so, right. Yeah, so the opposite it's, it's, of heavy. Yeah, exactly. So it's, it's different, funny. but in English, it happens to be the same, which is very fortuitous for my purposes, because as I explored a little bit more, um, a good friend of mine is an Ayurvedic doctor, somebody I've been learning from a lot recently, and he was the first person actually who told me about Dispenza years ago and also about Yogananda. I didn't listen at the time. This was in like 2019. I was not in the mindset. I was in the mindset that light, sunlight, artificial light, that's the thing that matters. That's what controls our physiology. I was following people in the space who were really gung-ho about that. And as much as that had benefited me physiologically, like certain symptoms, let's say, uh, reduced significantly even more than when I was just on the the food craze, doing the paleo and the autoimmune and all this stuff I did prior to discovering Jack Cruz and discovering light, I still was feeling pretty, at one point I realized how empty I felt inside. I mean, it was kind of apparent, but it kind of hit me. Like, I must not have a complete model of understanding. The model must not be complete if I'm not feeling the way I wanna feel. Because if I knew everything, then I would have this figured out. Like, you know, if you, if you truly understand life, and not just biology, but life as a concept, then you should be able to be happy, I would think. And I wasn't. And so I had to really evaluate my beliefs and assumptions about the people I was following and all the information I was getting and thinking like, just because I'm in the sun and dialing my circadian rhythm and blocking blue light, my brain chemistry is gonna work and da 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 da. So I should feel great. My hormones should look, <laughs> even, even if the tests look good and, the, yeah. and everything looks good on paper, it's like, I actually didn't feel the way I wanted to feel, right? And uh, it was interesting because, of course, I started this business making blue light blocking glasses, which I still believe in, of course, but, and there's tons of science behind it. And as I mentioned to you, the partnership with Aura only reaffirmed this conviction that it's actually changing lives. I mean, we had people, side note, a woman who is the founder of a medical practice that helps people with autism kind of get a diagnosis, recognition, treatment, care, all the things they need um, in that world. And she said basically that she had declining sleep for decades, it sounded like, or several years. And she had just attributed it to aging and menopause. And she said, but I realized it wasn't aging and menopause at all. It was, and she said, I backtracked and realized that my exposure to screens had just increased progressively and that's where my sleep started to get trashed. She said, thank you so much. I can't wait to share this information with my millions of monthly website visitors. I was like, well, first of all, thank you. That's great. And more importantly, like this woman's life was changed and her, she screenshotted her sleep scores and we had dozens and dozens of people actually send us screenshots of their sleep scores and significant improvements. So that being said, light is still relevant, right? Just like eating good food is relevant and drinking clean water is still relevant. But the thing that I came to experience was that if you're doing the right things from an environmental perspective, but you're not taking care of your inner light, so to speak, then I don't think the environmental stuff can outdo the lack there. So in other words, I mean, this isn't a foreign concept to you, obviously, 
But I think it is for a lot of people who are chasing the next biohack, chasing the next diet, the carnivore diet, the keto, you know, whatever the next variation is. Um, everybody's on this thing. And from my experience, my personal experience and observation of people who I, I see are in a similar space, everybody's, many people are chasing, chasing that somehow this diet is going to heal them. And it's so much so that people, and I did this, I know it because I did it, people actually build a whole identity around their diet and a whole community and tribe around their diet. And it, in my case, it was as if I was trying to create more reinforcement of this identity outside of me with my brand or whatever I was talking about, or for example, the community I was surrounding myself with, especially when I was in the paleo world, but also the stuff about light. And as if to cover up the actual internal lack of conviction and sort of feeling like there is more and my soul knows there's more, but I'm just going to get super gung-ho. And that's at least my perception of what's happening with all the people who are obsessed about the different diet or the next thing. That's so good. Yeah. There's so much in there. And uh, I mean, really, that's the basis of this podcast. So we talk to people all the time that have healing technologies different ways to eat, supplementation routines. People have great products. They come on and talk about the products. I love it. I use all that stuff. But I, too, went through the trap of thinking that if I just became physically, and this is just diet and lifestyle and everything, all the biohacks, if I just became physically vital and healthy enough that I would feel mentally and emotionally fulfilled. (laughs) And it's a trap. It's it to to your point. It's a double-edged sword, though, right? Because it's like if you're eating seed oils and aspartame and glyphosate and all this shit that's in our food every day, and thinking that you can just and you know I might be wrong here uh, based on you know Joe Dispenza and things like that, but thinking that you can meditate your way above eating poison all day every day, <laughs> it's probably a lot harder than going at it from the gross physical material uh, inputs, right? Because you do, as you start to, you know, limit your blue light and EMF and eat a clean diet, you do start to feel better physically, and it does improve your mood. But I think that many of us, uh, like you have, and I certainly have too, get lost in trying to fix ourselves with something out there when yeah. the real issue is the way that we think and the way that we feel. And And for many of us, and I don't think this is, your case from what I know about you, but I think the number one thing that makes people sick above and all above anything is unhealed emotional trauma. Yeah, I personally that's been my experience. I came to conclude at the first dispenser retreat I went to where we were together that that was likely the case for myself as well. Really? Because I had so well it made sense to me I had tried all these diets. So my main issues as a kid were gut issues in particular, um, really, really pretty severe, just like gas, bloating, et cetera. And I would get headaches, migraines, which are probably related to the gut in some way, leaky gut and this kind of thing. And also pretty strong uh, seasonal allergies, which are also linked to leaky gut, most likely, right? Based on the available evidence, the immune system, the way it responds, et cetera, with leaky gut. So the gut was kind of, seeming to be the core 
And I had tried all this, these diets and had some improvements by, of course, you know, removing some of the poison, of course, and eating more nourishing, nutrient-dense foods. And then I got into the world of light and I started, you know, doing all sunbathing and circadian rhythm practices, stopped drinking fluoridated water, started grounding, you know, all these components of what I would say was like the light diet 1.0, which is kind of where I was focused the last, the previous years. And again, was still feeling pretty empty and and to an extent that was actually affecting my health in the end. And I remember on the beach at one of the walking meditations at this retreat, I remember feeling so much wholeness and so great and just thinking, this is all I've ever been looking for. Like this is, I've been searching for something for years, and it's just this feeling of wholeness, which You're is all I You're searching for yourself. You could say you know, it that way, yeah. I think that's what we're all looking for, is the truth of who we are. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of, a lot of ways to get there. But I just made the assumption that you didn't have like a traumatic childhood and things like that. But I'll also say that I think um, trauma is very subjective. Right. So it's like I know people that have some emotional limitations uh, and they might have been the middle child that were just kind of ignored, ignored, ignored. And so so there was neglect. So the abuse was in the form of neglect and ignored makes a new word. Something that something that was missing, (laughs) something that was missing. Right. It's like sometimes trauma or these acute kind of emotional or even physical injuries that happen to you. But sometimes trauma is a little more insidious and it's that there was something that you were meant to be provided with which you were not. Love, affection, attention, approval, community, yeah. friends, family, closeness, all that, you know. Sometimes sometimes it's that. And so I don't I don't ever diminish people's trauma because I think mine was worse because I was abused or someone was abused more violently than I was, therefore mine doesn't count. I should mm-hmm. just buckle up, man up, and handle my life, you know, but what hurt you when you were young? Yeah, well, I would just say, I think my parents, they always did their best, um, you know, as most do, everybody's trying, um, but just briefly about myself, my parents, you know, again, try very hard to uh, do the best to be really great parents, and they end up being divorced just because things didn't work out between them, and I think just that, uh, that alone has a huge impact on a developing child, especially yeah. when you're really young. How old were you? Uh, two or three. Oh, yeah, me so too. So I think that, um, and this is just an idea of mine, I haven't dove deep into the psychological research about divorce, but from everything I've gathered about energy centers, we're developed with a masculine and feminine channel, so Ida and Pingala. I actually don't know which one's masculine, which one's feminine, but according to Ayurvedic medicine and, and yogic science, we have these two channels, uh, and Sushumna is the middle channel. And so intuitively it makes sense from what I've studied about light and electromagnetism that essentially, you know, in the same way that when you rub a dog, like you're actually giving it energy, in the same way that when you give someone your attention, you're giving them your energy, when you hug someone, you're giving them your energy and affection. In a similar way, like a human, a healthy whole human being develops with a masculine force and a feminine force being imprinted onto them. And so I was raised primarily with a feminine force because I grew up with my mother uh, for the most part. My father was out working hard providing for our family, right? Doing very, I'd say, masculine deed. But 
we didn't get as much time with him as maybe we could have. But again, he was doing his best, and so I really honor and respect that. And I know he tried really, really hard, and, and I think he did a great job overall. I'm so grateful for my experience. But just observing it, not, not making it about me at all, I think it's very hard to have a healthy child develop under divorced parents just because you're not getting the full balance of masculine and feminine. That's your literal connection to reality. Like you see the union of opposites, uh, plus and minus, masculine and feminine, positive and negative. You see those two and it gives you, I think, a foundation upon which to approach the entire world and all of life, the balance between masculine and feminine, when to be soft and affectionate, when to be directive and so on. And uh, you know, I mentioned you, I recently watched this really great interview that uh, we don't need to get into detail about, but that really struck a chord in me. And uh, anyway, so when I met this Ayurvedic doctor friend of mine, his name is Balarama, he did a pulse test and he told me, you know, I have, a, I have to work on my masculine feminine energy balance. I had too much feminine going on. And I could understand, especially in retrospect, how I was approaching my life like a victim. You know, I was looking at things that would happen. And even though I had started a business and I was traveling, so you could say to some degree there's a, uh, there must be a bit of a masculine force behind that, and certainly there was. At the same time, it was more, a lot of what I was doing was from a, a victim mindset, or for example, I was the victim of the bad food and the EMFs and the blue light, and it was more of a survival tactic than it was like a, I feel whole and I'm going to go out and expand from there. So anyway, uh, I can see how the challenges I was facing derived from having an imbalance in masculine and feminine energy. Being a man, so with a man's body and a man's genetics, we're designed to operate as a man in this lifetime. And so if we have too much feminine energy, we're gonna feel like something's off. You know, we're not able to fully express our proper purpose, basically from a biological standpoint and from the traditional wisdom, the you know traditional Ayurvedic and yogic science. And so, yeah, I could see how these challenges I was having, feeling like a victim, they were related to this imbalance. And that to actually, it's not like you just flip a switch and eat some herbs or something and it fixes it. You actually have to overcome, like Dispenza talks about overcoming emotion. So I believe I, I've had to, for the last few years, overcome and overcome each step of uh, different emotions to sort of discover what it means to be a man and what it means to be masculine and what it means to be confident. Like for example, and even still, I found myself, especially in the past, but again, even sometimes still resistant to stand up for myself or to say something that is maybe disagreeable, you know, and that's something that's a very strong quality of, of being masculine. So anyway, I, I found this to be a really interesting um, concept to dive into, to look back at my upbringing and think, again, God bless my parents, I love them, they're amazing, and just just divorce alone, not to mention there was, you know, there was some worries about money and finances that were kind of bled in, but I think a lot of people have that kind of issue. I personally have such a strong conviction that divorce is a really bad thing uh, for society and in particular for children because of my own experience. And it's not that these people have ill will, people who are getting divorced. I just think people, you know, obviously there was a cultural Tab, not a taboo, but a principle that people abided by. Like you get married, you stick it out. You know, like when you say I do, like you mean it. You know, to have and to hold through sickness and health and whatnot, like you mean it, and you you actually stand up. And it's like this idea that love isn't something that just 
magically appears. It's like something you're willing to work for. And I think most people just think in this modern sort of pleasure culture, like, oh yeah, if it's no longer fun and enjoyable, like I'm out. Uh, of course there are exceptions, right? Like who am I to speak about this? I haven't been married, right? I'm just speaking from my own experience. But if everybody just gets divorced, which I think it's 50, more than 50% now in the United States, it's like there's no foundation upon which to have even a solid culture. And that's part of why I appreciated this interview we discussed recently on top of so many other things I've been reading recently. I mean, I've traveled around the world. I was out of the States for the last 350 days. Uh, I've been to Bali, all over Europe twice in the last year, um, Australia. And one thing that's shocking, I spent, I went to Russia on the previous trip. Um, I've spent a lot of time in Eastern Europe and it's shocking just to, to see like how much the United States is degenerating. I'm not the fan of being a, a pessimist or this, anything like this, but the way on the whole, there's the, as Robert F. Kennedy, Kennedy Jr. calls it, the agency capture of all the uh, regulatory bodies in the government, the FDA, the EPA, the FCC, F, you know, these, these, they're supposed to be regulating the industry, they're not. Um, they're actually supporting the industry and putting more glyphosate on the crops and more 5G. And how other countries are actually like still in survival mode and they're actually, they still, they don't have a choice to be focused on some of the more let's say, artificial created structures and concepts that are big political subjects in the like United States. Like fighting over pronouns and stuff? For example, <laughs> they have to, you have to be a very surviving. privileged society if that's what you're worried about. Yeah. So anyway, these are some <laughs> of the things I've been observing. Um, so again, I, I'm not, I learned from actually from Joe Dispenza that it's not really useful a lot of the time to focus on the past. I can just analyze it from a higher level. Uh, but that that is my view on my experience. And I, I wanted to mention to a point you made prior about that people can actually heal ourselves from our external efforts that we're doing. I've had the experience where no matter what, at certain points, and always an ongoing process, that if I set my mind, there are certain things I've set my mind on, for example, whether it's with uh, eating or with training or something like this, where I can say, yeah, I want to do this, or I'm going to do this. But then I don't find myself doing it. I'm asking myself, well, geez, first of all, I must not be cultivating enough discipline to go and say, you know, I say I'm gonna do something, I'm gonna do it. But uh, so a friend of mine uh, not long ago had texted me and asked, what are your diet goals at the moment? And I thought about it actually, okay, what are my diet goals? Because I've been pretty lax traveling around Europe, kind of just eating what I consider to be generally healthy, but uh, also not always, you know, sometimes overindulging and not really feeling great after it and questioning, okay, what am I really doing, right? I know it's important to eat healthy in addition to doing all this other stuff. And then I thought about my response to him and, and very honestly said, you know, I, more than anything else, I'd love to cultivate a state within myself that I only make good decisions for my health because I'm at a frequency, let's say, where eating whatever that's not good for me, that's gonna make me feel bad, isn't on that frequency, right? And I've, in my personal experience, I have found that that is more effective than trying to kind of mentally manipulate or, or force or coerce or persuade myself into doing something that I have to do. Uh, in particular, because a lot of the time when I look back, most of what I was doing for my health for the longest time was out of fear. And anything that's done out of fear, I think will genuinely only keep you stuck to some extent. 
So I, I've had to re, as I've gotten kind of out of living in chronic, because I lived for years in chronic survival, and I think that's why I had the health issues in the end to, to that point. Because um, how can you be healthy? How can your digestion work if you're chronically in some kind of survival state? And I really look at it, even at the first few years running my business, I look back and I'm like, I literally didn't relax for any point that I could remember. I was constantly wound up, like, because I was so concerned that I was going to die if I didn't eat the right diet or block the EMS <laughs> and all this stuff. Seriously. <laughs> I'm, so I'm well aware. I, I've had to reevaluate. I'm laughing because I identify. I, I, I've had to reevaluate. As I felt so much better about myself and how, who I am and grounded in myself, I've actually understood very viscerally why my friends my age don't care at all about what they eat because they just feel good. Why would you waste your time? If you feel good, who cares? Like, honestly, and I actually believe there's something to that. Whereas back then I was like, oh, they're all going to die. They're eating this. I'm like, no, they're doing it right. I was the one being orthorexic as a term you've used before. And I think it was very applicable here. I was the one obsessing about that. The one who was unhappy trying to tell them they should do this and that, but from a place of being empty and miserable. So there's a lot there. But the point is that I believe that we can actually change the most. And this is exactly what Dispenza teaches. It's also what people have taught for thousands of years in traditional Eastern philosophy, that we can actually change by first changing our inner state. And so I do believe that people could potentially make ourselves strong enough to be resilient even to more of these toxins. There are people in our society, not many, but I think there are probably some who are just so happy and healthy that they kind of push these things off to the side. But again, with the, I think there must be a balance, right? There's such an onslaught of chemical exposure, EMFs and this and that. I think the, the other way to look at it is, why would you waste your energy defending from that stuff if you could do the right thing from a food and water and EMF and light perspective and then save all that vital energy instead of from defending yourself, so to speak, just enriching your own field. I think there's something to be said. That's my current understanding of the interplay. So we should do the right things from our external environment perspective, but if the internal state, as, as was my experience, is somehow sufficiently, significantly degraded and not cultivated, living in st stress, living in survival, there's tons of evidence this creates disease, then no amount of the tweaking outside will fix that. That's, kind of, that's what I'm trying to say. Nowadays, the PSYOPs are coming at you fast and furious on Planet Clown. But did you know that your shoes are also a PSYOP? Most shoes today have serious issues. First, they smash your toes into a narrow point that keep you from walking naturally. They've also got cushioning and unnecessary, quote, support that weaken your feet. And lastly, they're made with endocrine-disrupting plastics, which you definitely don't want on one of the most sensitive parts of your body. Basically, most shoes these days are just petroleum-based plastic foot prisons. Womp womp. But I'm going to help you free your feet right now. Rizal shoes are handmade of all leather, that's real leather, with a wide toe box that promotes natural movement. The first style, the one that I have and love, by the way, is called the Brio. It has a soft nubuck leather upper, and even the sole is just water buffalo leather. These shoes are insanely comfortable, just like being barefoot, but with just enough protection. What I love about them is I can feel the natural bumps and textures of the ground, but there's just enough of a sole to protect my feet from getting scraped up or nasty and dirty. Risals are legit the next best thing to wearing no shoes at all. 
And the brios that I have are chill and perfect for casual wear, but you can also dress them up as needed too. They don't look ridiculous like some of the uh, minimal footwear out there. Find your Rizal style at risal.co slash Luke 10. That's R-H-I-Z-A-L, risal.co slash Luke 10, and use the code Luke 10 to get your 10% off. And here's a bonus hot tip for you, and perhaps my favorite part. Risal shoes are also grounded. The natural leather sole is fairly conductive on its own, but it's also got a copper plug that creates an undeniable connection. And I love knowing I'm grounding more anytime I pop these bad boys on. Again, that's risal.co slash Luke10. Yeah, it, it's an interesting balancing act. You know, I remember many years ago when I interviewed Bruce Lipton, and I had just been living in, the, I'm sure I've told you the story, I've told it on the podcast way too many times, but it was a huge moment when I got, Please do. I got like radiation poisoning, basically, from living under these cell towers unknowingly. And um, I had just moved out of that house to, to my other uh, place. I don't know if, you, I don't think you ever came to that. I don't you ever come to the house in LA? In LA? No. Mm-mm. Um, so anyway, I asked Bruce Lipton, the biology of belief, right? Very similar model to Joe Dispenza in, into your most recent point here that, you know, we can actually affect our biology positively by our emotional state and our mental state and our connection with ourselves. And just how we believe about something makes it more powerful, um, more powerfully healing or deleterious. And so I asked him about the cell towers and I was like, all right, so we were deep into the conversation and his whole perspective. And I said, so... If I was living under two cell towers and I had a strong enough belief that they were completely harmless or even a positive input in my life, do you believe that was true? And he said, yeah, 100%. You know, And I do believe that's true. However, how many of us have that kind of level of conviction in our belief, right? It's like when I drive around... And I, you know, drive by a cell tower, I feel myself contract because I'm like, Mm -hmm. ah, there's a 5G tower right there, you know? And it's like, okay, cool. In that moment, I can go, you know what? I'm impervious to that radiation. I'm strong. I'm vital. Boom. And I can just like take a breath and just deflect it energetically, Mm -hmm. right? And I'm sure that that is possible, but you're talking about like a lifetime practice to get to that point where you can disarm your ingrained beliefs and the factual data that you've acquired in your education, right? So it's like you interview enough people about how bad cell towers are for you like I do. And I have, you know, physicists, biologists, MDs, brilliant people in the sciences going, here is the data, EMFs will kill you, right? And I know that they're telling me the truth. They have the research to back it up. So it's like, okay, how do I take that information and also the information that I, I do believe that is true, that if you have a strong enough belief that you were, you can render almost anything externally harmless, you know? But that, mm-hmm. that requires a lot of practice. That requires probably thousands of times of driving by a cell tower and going, putting up my force field, that does not affect me. But to really own that and believe that, when you're armed with information to the contrary, is a practice. You know, it's not just like a switch that one can hit. Like, oh yeah, I'm not going to worry about anything anymore because I don't want to be in fight or flight about EMFs. Yeah. Right. So it's like what I'm always recommending to people to listen to the show because I don't want to. This show is not like to scare people, but it is to spread awareness about things like EMF. So, 
for me, it's like finding a balance of educating oneself, having an awareness, taking the practical steps that you're able to take to fortify yourself against these threats in our environment, and then just accept that most of it you can't control. You know, we built this house, for example. I mean, a bunch of the bedrooms are all totally shielded, Faraday cages. I mean, the lights are all dialed in. There's no blue light. There's no Wi-Fi. There's no smart shit anywhere. I mean, it feels really good in here. Everyone that walks in is like, wow, it feels good in here. I go, well, yeah. You've probably never been in a building that doesn't have a bunch of EMF, or at least in a long time. Mm -hmm. Yet still, if I was going to nitpick, I mean, my cell phone still works in this house. So there's a cell tower couple miles away it's going through my body and your body and his body right now right but i literally cannot control that so i'm just going to focus my energy on the fact that there's a much lower level of emf in this house than there is in most places in a suburban and especially in an urban environment so this is just something that i'm always toying with myself is like where's mm -hmm. the middle ground you know where you do the best you can on your food your lighting environment your emf your water, you do your best to whatever you can afford, however much time you want to put into it. And then there's a the point where you just have to surrender and know in a couple clicks, we're all dying mm -hmm. anyway. You mm -hmm. know, some of us are going to die uh, more painful deaths that include more suffering than others. But that's one thing you can't, <laughs> you can't control. You know, mm -hmm. we're all going to check out. So it's like, am I going to spend my life freaking out about cell towers or am I going to yeah. spend my life going, I did the best I could. You know, put some money and effort into a home that is energetically more safe and uh, more coherent, and then you just let it go. That's it. You know, it's like you can, only, you can only take it so far. Then it becomes, you know, if I've taken the gross physical actions, then it becomes a matter of how can I refine my inner practice of what I believe, right? Mm -hmm. Which is the stuff you're describing and you're finding yourself in, which is which is so cool. It's been so fun to watch your your evolution as a man you know i met you what you were 19 or something yeah actually uh just turned 18 it was you six just years ago 18. okay a long time. and so yeah and for those listening matt's been on the show a bunch of times and we'll, we'll put those all in the show notes at lukestory.com slash maddie but uh you know i met you and you had graduated from high school the year before and and you were really into as you said all the physical uh, interventions you know and specifically the light which is so smart and the emf and all that so it's it's really been cool running into you at joe dispenza in florida <laughs> we did a podcast there and just you know um, spontaneously and i'm watching you on social and stuff and just seeing how you're really going on that inner journey and finding your own way to have that balance right of how much of it is what i think about the feelings that i entertain and how much of it is the physical inputs i, and I love watching you live your life man i'm like Dude, if I had the flying schedule that you had, <laughs> I would be toast. You know, so it's like take advantage of it while you're young and you're resilient to travel and going through customs and airplanes and all that shit, man. So for me, it's like, Alice and I were talking about this the other day. She's like, you never want to go anywhere because you don't want to go on long flights. I want to go somewhere. I was like, fair enough. You're right. We were talking about going to Bali before Great. the pandemic started. And she loves Bali and has been there a few times. And, uh. It's like, yeah, let's, it let's do it. And then I went on to book the flights and I started counting up the hours. And I was like, 
can we go to Mexico? <laughs> yeah. like, that's far, man. I think Houston, they have direct flight from Houston to Singapore or Dallas to Singapore. Oh, yeah. And then it, that'd be like 18 hours. Yeah. And then you'd have a connection to Bali, like yeah. three hours. And you're, you're 24 now? I'll be 24 in a month. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Up until I was about 35, I flew all, all around the world, no problem, mm-hmm. in coach seats. You know, mm-hmm. six foot two just sitting there. Yeah. This is great. I'm going to India or whatever, yeah. you know. When I went to India, it was 36 hours from leaving my apartment to checking into the hotel. Wow. <laughs> 36 hours. Wow. But, I, really you know, cool. I could hang. Back yeah, then I course. could hang. I was probably 32 or well, four. Well, you can still hang, like of course. Maybe, yeah. Anyway, I, I digress. I'm talking too much. I want I to, But it. I appreciate the philosophical framework here. But you're about the smartest person I know when it comes to light. Uh, and to me, both light and EMF, it, it's actually one of my pet peeves. It's super irritating that in the wellness space and the wellness influencer space that everyone is so goddamn obsessed with what the right diet is. And to your point earlier, people become, and I'm not saying I've never done this. I mean, I know if you spot it, you got it, right? But it's like when you hear Amen. someone say, I'm a vegan or I'm keto. It's like, no, you're a human being that eats a certain type of fuel that you enjoy, right? It's like, saying i'm unleaded or leaded no you're a ford explorer right? it's like you know yeah. it's the field that goes in but there's so much bickering and debate about what the right diet is and i'm like these are all people that are probably staring at their cell phone with this blue light blasting in their face all day and night living in a house with 16 smart appliances and eight wi-fi routers and everyone's worried about your diet and having you know the blue light in the home the flickering light fluorescent bulbs everywhere in your office and in your home and and you're tripping out about like how many calories something has or whether or not it came from an animal or a plant and it drives me nuts because i know that we can do so much good for our health by monitoring our light hygiene and EMF hygiene. So mm-hmm. I, I want to, I'm probably going to title this something around light. So I want to make course. sure we get into that. But yeah, I do have some other it. questions because you're hella smart. Uh, grounding. Okay. Maybe uh, 15, 20 years ago, I got into this concept of grounding, earthing, right? Where you go outside and walk around in your bare feet and then started getting all these grounding mats at my desk and sleeping on grounded sheets and all this. Because it made sense to me uh, thinking about every living being on the planet is grounded 24 7 has been for all eternity, with the exception of birds while they're flying. Every other creature that has a heartbeat on the planet is grounded and has been grounded 24-7. So there must be something to that. I would think so, yeah. (laughs) Okay. Birds even collect energy while they're flying from the air. Really? Something to do with, yeah, I don't know. Like the ether or something? Uh, It's actually a very physical process. Something like... I want to say like static electricity almost, Mm, but it's mm. not just, just the motion of oxygen over their surfaces creates some sort of uh, charge differential, which I believe Gerald Pollack's book actually talked about this, the fourth phase of water, that that motion uh, with the air around could actually charge the EZ, the, let's say, liquid crystalline water in their cells. So anyway, oh, so they're cool. also actually getting something while they're drifting. But you, know, I never you see thought birds ever that. just, they just fly and they just hang out high up in the sky. So even though they're maybe not grounded to the earth, receiving electrons in this way, they're actually getting some kind of energy up there. Because there's birds, you, you know, you'll see birds flying really high in places 
often where there really is no prey. Maybe they're surveying the land, but the way Pollock, I believe it was Pollock, explained it, there could be the potential that they're actually just sort of charging, let's say, in the sun and in the air. Right. So anyway, to your That's point. That's interesting. There's well, that energy reminds, coming off the ground. That reminds me of bees. I was seeing something on bees the other day, how they fly using some magnetism. It's not like the velocity of their wings flapping. They, they create some little magnetic field that makes them float. Have you seen this? Uh, I haven't, but I've actually heard that very much related that people who work around bees have been studied to have better health or lifespan, something like this, than other mm, different types of jobs in maybe, I would assume, similar areas, whether it was agriculture or something like that. Uh, again, I haven't looked deep into it, yeah. but I saw some some evidence of that online. I saw something I about that too. That's very interesting. It makes sense because especially given what you've, you're saying, they're, if they're putting out some energy field. They're like little tiny PEMF coils. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> But anyway, to the, to the earthing and grounding, I'm still a supporter, still do it. But I've interviewed some people around uh, the topic of EMFs, and it's pretty conclusive amongst all of them that grounding when you are exposed to an electric field is less than ideal and maybe even not great, bad, I mean, um, because you then become the ground or the conduit for those fields. So like if I'm sitting here on this chair and I'm touching a, a grounding mat, you could test my skin voltage and it will be zero. So you're like, this is amazing. I'm, I'm not getting any voltage. But if, if there's like a power strip right here that's creating an electric field, the reason that I'm going to zero voltage on the skin voltage meter is because that electric field is using my body as a ground and it's going down through the grounding mat into the wire that's in the wall. And the other issue is with dirty electricity traveling up the cord of your little grounding mat or your grounding sheet and actually <laughs> electrifying you with EMF. And I remember when I first met you, we were talking about grounding in New York City. I mean, aside from the cockroaches and dog shit and whatever you might find on the street, but you were like, oh, dude, a lot of the ground here has an electric current, so you don't want to be barefoot on it. And I think you told me, or it might have been Jack, that someone was even electrocuted in New York City. Do you remember that? I recall hearing something. Somebody, like they this. got yeah, shocked or something because the, you know, all the wiring under the streets yeah, and exactly. everything. So what, I said all that to ask, what's your current perspective on earthing, grounding, doing it outdoors, indoors, while looking at the sun? Not, what, what's your whole take on it if you have one? Yeah, I, I, I would say I definitely do. I mean, it, it seems like a, a no-brainer, let's say, like get outside and be barefoot. I think it's really important. Absolutely, period. Also, about grounding indoors, I'm just intuitively skeptical about the grounding mats and everything indoors just because of the risk that you do pick up something that is that you wouldn't have picked up otherwise. So for example, when I would hardwire my computer sometimes, I would measure it with my um, Cornet you know, EMF meter, which I would travel around with everywhere uh, until recently. But I don't know. Because it was too to depressing. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I, I, I didn't use it very often. I almost oh, never okay. use it because I thought I'm never going to use this if I'm just staying in a place for a couple nights because I book the place in advance. I'm not there to test it in advance. So if I get there and then I test it and it's bad, like what am I just going to lose all my money and leave? Yeah. I guess I could do that, but that might end up me just bailing on places and not having a place to stay very frequently. And living my whole life around that, I decided I didn't want to live Good like call. that. Good yeah. call. Sometimes having an EMF meter is, uh, when you're traveling is a bummer because of that situation. You're yeah. like, oh shit, it's really bad in here. And then you try to go to sleep and 
in your subconscious, you're like, I'm being fried right now. Yeah, so you know? I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that exactly. The only what I oh, I got to sorry, to tell me, please. But, uh, because of that issue, I got this thing called uh, Faraday Labs, and it's a portable Faraday. Okay, tent. wow that I throw in my suitcase and when I check into Airbnb or hotel, I don't even care what the EMF is. I just like stick a hook in the ceiling and hang it over the bed. And then it has a pad that goes underneath the mattress. It takes about eight minutes to set it up. Kind of a pain in the ass, you know, if you're traveling a lot. But I've gone inside there and tested with my meter and it's like Proper Faraday cage. Yeah. yeah. Green light, no whistles on the meter. Wow. It's like, ah, oh, it's so cozy. Yeah. That's great. It's, yeah. it's like it's only like a thousand bucks or something. Super light, smashes into a tiny little ball, easy to put in your suitcase. So great. That was my travel solution. That could be especially yeah, that in could be really good. Out in the country, I'm not that you know, if I stay somewhere remote, I'm not that worried, but cities are freaking brutal. Yeah, of course. The yeah, the EMF is bad. So so grounding is definitely a great idea. I mean, just connecting to nature. I'm I'm still more and more of the mindset. Uh, as I've learned more about this sort of energetic approach to life, you know, I already had studied Dr. Robert O. Becker and I had studied these different books in the field of energy medicine when I was several years younger now and came to understand that we are these beings of energy, right? And so then when I went to the more, let's say, spiritual approach or Eastern traditional way of looking at, at life, uh, largely directed through Dispenza, inspired by his work, and then looking uh, further as well. I've come to be really interested in this idea that there is this energy that's, as Joe says, within us and all around us, this sort of, you could call it the quantum field, you could call it God, you could call it spirit, source, um, there's prana chi, prana you know, chi yeah, for yeah. sure. Uh, and, mm -hmm. and there's different meanings of each of these terms right but uh, so I'm, I'm sure I'm not using them all properly in this case but there's an energy that's around us and that we can actually tap into and somehow for example in the process of meditation by taking our attention off of ourselves and putting our attention on as, as Dr. Joe does on nothing or on space that we can actually connect to this energy and for me this this work this meditation work it took on a whole different level of meaning because I had this background knowledge about bioelectromagnetism. I think it's, it's beautiful that a lot of people go in and they just sort of have faith. They're like, yeah, this, this makes sense to me. And, and Dr. Joe, to his credit, explains tons of the science. I mean, a massive amount of science for people to understand, but doesn't necessarily, you know, uh, make sense necessarily to go into every single little detail. But when you understand, if, if, for anybody who's read The Body Electric, if they haven't, I recommend it understand that really the body is electromagnetic cells regenerate using electromagnetic fields and communicate using electromagnetic fields and it's how cell signaling occurs it, it just changes the perspective about about life and so for me it, it made sense on an intuitive level that we could just by changing our mind because our mind is the the way we sort of influence this field just by of changing our mind basically in a, in a meditative way we could actually connect to more of this energy and potentially even be healed for example so uh, this is what's happening at these uh, week-long retreats with people meditating and uh, healing from all sorts of really really severe illnesses and so for me I've, I've gotten really interested because I thought well 
yeah, I, I can do grounding and that's going to connect me to this source of energy from the earth, which I think is super important. Yeah, I can and should go in the sun. And so I love sunbathing. I watch the sunrise on a regular basis, sunset, or if I don't watch exactly the sunrise, I'll get morning sunlight exposure, afternoon sunlight exposure um, to set the circadian rhythm. I'll sunbathe regularly. So all the things that are really important from a sunlight perspective. But I, I've found more and more interest in actually connecting to this this greater energy. Again, simply because I, tr I did the sun religiously for such a long time and it didn't change my fundamental let's say, experience of the world at a absolutely earth-shattering level. It was significant to go from being an indoor living person more not aware of the power of the sun to someone aware of the power of the sun. It's definitely a big shift. I would say it's probably one of the biggest shifts somebody can undergo in this physical world, like going from being an indoor human who just doesn't realize the sun's important, who wears sunscreen and sunglasses and a hat all the time or well, hats are the least bad there. In fact, can be really beneficial if the light's too bright instead of sunglasses. But the sun was a huge shift, right? But for me, again, as I mentioned, I just struggled mentally. I was, I was having a hard time going into like age 20, 21. And so this idea that we can actually connect to this energy, for me, it's, it's fascinating that people heal from that. Like people become whole just by surrendering something of themselves and letting this energy in and the idea that we could just do that at any time just by really practicing like opening our energy up and removing contraction for me that's fascinating so uh, I, that's that's what i'm most interested in now when we talk about anything related to grounding and electromagnetism and energy and cells for me just Another way to put it would be like, how relaxed can we get? You know, if you just sit, I think at least I had this sort of mindset like, yeah, I'm, I'm like moderately relaxed. Let's say, okay, just if I were sitting in any moment, okay, this is just relaxed. But how relaxed could you actually get if you just relaxed more and you relaxed more and you relaxed more and relaxed more? Like what would happen, you know? And that, that's, of course, what, what a lot of meditation is, is just relaxing, kind of opening up. Anyway, and you mentioned about, uh, of course, the, the diet, everybody's focused on diets and uh, many people neglect light, right? I think one of, the most, uh, one of the most significant concepts for me when it comes to this whole uh, light research is that there's this idea, I haven't shared this a lot on podcasts, but I think it's fitting because we've done several. There's this idea that, for example, like we need to eat meat to be healthy. Now, this is an interesting one because I don't have anything against meat, but as I've learned more from this more spiritual perspective, it's kind of, it's made sense to me that if our, if we cultivated our energy field to the greatest extent, then maybe we could live on less food in general, not just not meat, for example, but uh, just less food. And there's this very, there's very solid evidence that the number one, one of the top ways to extend lifespan in regular research now is calorie restriction, like 30% calorie restriction, 30% increase in lifespan. That's really well documented. And if you think about it, like that's very, very significant. But it wouldn't make sense for anyone to just go from, you know, eating a huge amount of food on a daily basis and just to no food or very little because they would feel like they're starving themselves. What I've experienced just from doing the, the light stuff, sunbathing in particular, but also 
just more time meditating, I've gotten less of an interest to eat like really dense food. So I've actually sort of dialed back meat consumption, not because I think there's anything necessarily wrong with eating meat, but just because I've personally felt this. And I don't know if it's temporary, permanent, but uh, that's something that's interesting to me. And I would go as, as far as saying that when we look at the carnivore diet, so the carnivore diet's a mainstream diet, obviously, trend, which is considered in the health and wellness world to be like the absolute superior way to eat, in fact. You know, it's like replaced paleo as like the gold standard now, and people actually revere the carnivore diet in that respect. And again, I, I, I don't have anything against that necessarily, but from what my experience of the world has shown me and all the things I've been exposed to, which I think are unique in many respects, that many people have not been on the same path. I don't know a lot of people who, who have really studied this stuff deeply, except anybody who followed Jack Cruz. And even then, they're still generally in the mindset that, you know, the, the very more materialistic approach to health utilizing light. So, but the external approach is what I mean. So what I'm getting at is that I have this idea that if somebody is really, really dependent on meat. So for example, there's a lot of people in the carnivore world who have very severe autoimmune disease, right? And so they remove everything except let's say beef, salt, and water, like the classic ultra carnivore diet, or they remove everything uh, except maybe meat, organ meats, and then some fruits. So, but they still avoid anything with any vegetable matter, fiber, because th there's this, th this theory in, in this world that basically plants are full of plant toxins, oxalates and all sorts of other things which are ultimately detrimental to the gut. And it goes back to this gut theory that- Lectins. Yeah, you, exactly. Lectins, you damage the gut and you create problems. And I'm not saying that's not real. Of course it's real. There's evidence of these, of these substances, but People have eaten them for thousands of years. Of course, they would maybe prepare the grains in a little bit more of an intelligent way. They weren't Roundup Ready, you know, GMO corn and wheat and soy and whatnot. So I'm not a fan and I don't recommend anyone eat these things, of course. But just to, to go to such an extreme to say, okay, well, yeah, we have all this toxic wheat, corn, this and that, and say, yeah, all of it and all wheat ever is really bad. And actually, humans are meant to eat only meat. When people have thrived, not just lived, but thrived for thousands of years in arguably, you could say, significantly better physical form and condition, health and wellness and shape and function, you know, old soldiers from ancient cultures like Greece and so on, they ate meat, of course, but um, they also ate plenty of grain and they were still very vital people. So what I'm getting at is, this is, might seem like a bit out of left field, but are you familiar with Harry Potter? Have you ever seen... The movie Harry Only Potter. by name. Okay. I think I've so anyway, seen it. No. This might seem way out of left field, but basically, there's this uh, this character who's like the villain, and he is half dead because he tried to kill uh, Harry Potter, actually the main character. And basically, the story goes that like Harry's mother's love for him protected him, so she died on his behalf. But it actually like deflected this killer curse and caused this uh, supervillain guy to be in this sort of half alive, half dead state. And he actually had to live in this state on the blood of unicorns. That was what he had to survive on in this, in this you know, fantastical uh, fantasy film. But it was interesting for me to, to see an a, a parallel, feel free to reject it, but basically that, and, and to the listener as well, but that somebody who's Literally, if they eat anything besides meat, their auto, their immune system reacts like crazy. They have a blueberry, spinach, whatever. Their immune system goes crazy. You haven't treated, in my view, just how I look at the world, 
you haven't treated the root cause, you haven't cured the condition. If you have a sweet potato or a blueberry or spinach and your autoimmune disease flares up, like you still have the condition at the core, you've just, just like people poo-poo Western medicine for treating symptoms, that's what I believe most of functional medicine does too. It's just instead of pharmaceuticals, they're just using supplements and all sorts of things. And I know so many people have gone through tens of thousands of dollars of supplements and, or yeah, yeah, more, and treatments and still are spinning their wheels. I just met a guy recently who had an autoimmune condition and he's looking for answers and he has tons of cash to be able to meet all the doctors and nobody really has the answers. Nobody has the answers for autoimmune diseases. Um, they, they might say they do, they all say they have the solution. Anyway, so people in these conditions, if you have, if you still have this reaction when you have food, you haven't healed. And so that's all I'm trying to say. When it comes to these diets, everybody's going on these ultra strict elimination diets. And the assumption, I know this because I did it, the autoimmune protocol, paleo diet, the GAPS diet, the idea, the fundamental premise is that you will remove all the inflammatory gut inflaming lectins and anti-nutrients and all the oxalates and all that stuff. You cut it out and that the body, this is the, the implied statement and it's, it's generally stated uh, explicitly, sometimes it's just implied, but the body will heal itself. That's what's implied. And what I wanna know is how does that work? And is there a way to stimulate that process directly? That's what I wanna know. Because it's always assumed that the body will heal itself, but like, what if it doesn't? Like, what about all the people like myself who tried the autoimmune paleo diet for weeks and weeks and weeks and months and months and months and gaps and all the bone broths and everything and still had issues? It's like, well, you're telling me that, like, there must be either something wrong with me or with the diet. And for a long time, I just thought something was wrong with me. But then when I'm like, well, I refused, I'm no longer going to accept that there's just something fundamentally flawed with me that's causing me to not respond to these different treatments. Maybe this just doesn't go deep enough. Like, maybe the issue is fundamentally deeper. And so I'm now kind of circling back to where we started, where eventually, when I, you can imagine when I finally got to Dispenza and I just opened myself up. And I felt so much love and energy gushing through me and I felt myself becoming more whole. Like maybe this is all I needed. And Joe says, like people feel wholeness. They, they feel, they cultivate wholeness within themselves and then they heal. What? Why is nobody talking about that? So for me, it's a really interesting, uh, no offense to the carnivores to compare them to Lord Voldemort living on um, unicorn <laughs> blood, but... Uh, I think it's worth noting that the Ayurvedic doctor friend I mentioned, Balarama, who's been a great influence for me, he's not particularly public, but he's a very influential guy. He's one of the first people to teach Ayurvedic medicine and have a clinic in Russia and works with some of the top executives and people all over the world, including Western, Eastern, Russian politicians, as well as American you know, people. Just it's, it doesn't discriminate, right? Works with everybody, any race, any creed. Um, Generally, these people have a good amount of wealth because it's not cheap to work with such a high-level doctor. But that being said, um, one of the things he mentioned to me when I first I first met him, he mentioned he was vegan, and I was all paleo. I was like, okay, so you're crazy then, right? Because vegans are crazy. That was my mindset. And to some extent, I still, coming from that world, can resonate with the average carnivore or paleo person in the understanding that, yeah, there's in tr many people who are vegan, there is a lot of mental illness, uh, a lot of, you know, uh, sickness in the average vegan person or vegan community. Right? So anyway, I was just like, okay, veganism is crazy. And then he explained to me, 
and I didn't believe any of this at the time, but that even though, so eating meat, if you wanted to build a healthy human body because we are animals, part of us, we are part animal, uh, also part something, let's say, higher, part divine, as humans, that makes us a bit different from regular animals, but uh, if you want to focus on the animal part in particular, then it would make sense to eat animals because you will naturally put on more muscle. Like when I stopped eating a bunch of meat, I, I lost around almost 20 pounds of lean mass because I, I was just basically taking it for free. And nothing, again, nothing wrong with this, but it was just like I was just eating tons of meat and so I just gained all this muscle even though I wasn't really actively training. Uh, maybe it wasn't 20, it was like 10 or 15, but it was it was a significant change in, in my physiology. I was like, oh, I have, if I'm going to eat less meat, I should train more to earn it. So again, what I'm getting at here is that what this doctor was sharing with me is that from a spiritual perspective, I'm not talking about physical. If somebody wants to be physical, absolutely shredded in ancient Hinduism and the ancient India, the warrior class, the kshatriyas were actually, let's say, sanctioned or suggested to eat meat because they needed that energy to go out and kill. That was the clot, the caste that were the warriors, right? So it makes sense. But for everyone else, anybody who wanted to have a higher, let's say, a spiritual focus, it was not necessarily recommended as much. And I thought that was really interesting. So it can be really just sort of a taboo because in the paleo world, it's like, oh, meat's the best thing ever. And again, I have nothing against eating meat. I ate pounds of meat for a long time. But it's this perspective that we could cultivate our inner light such that we wouldn't not only be dependent on animal protein to take good care of ourselves, but that I think there's a, I think there's something behind the whole idea of breatharianism. I'm not there, but there's a, there's a really solid basis in the, in the understanding, both what I've kind of gathered together and then the science that's evolving that I've been following, that people could not only live on less food and not feel like they're starving all the time, but that we could actually live in a lighter state. And I, I think that's a very interesting idea that nobody I've heard, I've heard anyone <laughs> talk about that. I've always been a fan of pomegranate, but I had no idea it contained one of the most powerful compounds in the world for mitochondria. It's called urolithin A, and it's incredible for mitophagy. Or put more simply, the way your body discards old dysfunctional mitochondria. The thing is that you'd have to eat ridiculous amounts of pomegranate to get a clinically effective dose of this urolithin A. That's why I get mine in a product called MitoPure, available in a berry powder, protein powder, and soft gels. Super easy to take and adopt into your daily routine. MitoPure is a breakthrough postbiotic that activates your body's natural defense against aging. It's also the first product on the market to offer a precise dose of urolithin A to upgrade mitochondrial function, increase cellular energy, and improve muscle strength. MitoPure is the result of 10 years of research by scientists at the Swiss Federal Institute of Technology, and its clinically proven benefits are available for the first time in the U.S. through Timeline Nutrition. To learn even more about the science of MitoPure, go back and check out episode 389 with Dr. Chris Wrench. It's a mitochondria geek out of the highest order of magnitude and helps simplify this complex topic. And in the meantime, as a special offer for you listeners, you can use the promo code LUKE10 to get 10% off any 2, 4, or 12-month MitoPure plan at TimelineNutrition.com. And by the way, I highly suggest the Starter Pack, which lets you try all three forms of MitoPure. 
Again, that's TimelineNutrition.com and your code is LUKE10. I love it. Um, yeah, thinking of the podcast, I was, it might have been Alex Zach's The Way Forward, the show you were just recently on. He was on the show recently as well. I think it was on his podcast. He had a woman lives outside of the United States, uh, and she's been a breatharian and teaching people how to live that for something like 30 years. And I listened to the whole thing. I was convinced she was not lying and she was not delusional. And she is living in the way that you just described and teaching masses of people for years and years, decades, how to do it. And it's, it's a really interesting thing because um, I've also been around specifically some mystics from India who for no apparent moral reason don't eat animals, but more so because they don't need to and because of what you described of uh, the density of eating meat. Inter- interferes with their frequency and they've raised their frequency to a point where their body is able to be vital and uh, and healthy without having you know all of that protein and animal fats and things like that and, and I was a vegetarian for 10 years and I totally fell apart my teeth rotted out I was a disaster I've never been well I was unhealthier when I was an addict before that mm-hmm. but when I got sober I was like oh man I'm gonna detox and do colonics and go vegetarian and I saw this like vegan propaganda film, I think it was called Earth Earthlings, I think mm-hmm. it was called. I watched that movie and didn't eat meat for years after that because it was all about factory farms and things yeah, like that. Yeah, of this. course. But anyway, I'm, I'm always kind of in this place. Well, I meditate a lot and I'm cultivating my prana and I'm doing all these practices, so why do I need to eat meat? And I, I still just feel the best when I eat meat. If I eat yeah. other foods, I start feeling funky. So I'm not, I don't follow any diet. I think for me, diets are goofy. I just, who cares? Like just eat what you feel like. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not suggesting anybody be on a specific diet. I'm not totally vegetarian, although I've leaned more that direction just as how I feel recently. And again, is it temporary permanent? No idea. But I'm just totally going with the flow. I feel like I'm in, and more and more I see that I'm in an experimental phase in my life where I would like to try different things. Um, but again, the, the the reason I bring it up is is because nobody's talking about that you could actually cultivate. At least I haven't heard people talking about that. You know, we cultivate our inner light, and other than maybe these breatharians, and they're on they're on what I would consider like an extreme in the sense that again, it seems so out there to the average person to just go from eating to not eating. And I feel very fortunate to have seen, okay, there's a science, you know, Dr. Joe Spenzi talking about the quantum field and connecting to energy and being able to, like, basically become more whole from frequency. Okay, there's that. Okay, there's Ayurvedic medicine, which also teaches at, in its traditional form. There's Western Ayurveda, which often is skewed and, uh, you know, recommends even drinking alcohol or meat and in moderation and this and that, which is, again, fine, but that's not the traditional Ayurveda from India. Um, but so there's this understanding that we can sort of enhance that spiritual state. I think that's very interesting. Um, yeah, then there's too. people who want to also obviously be really in this world. I have friends who are like, I did that. I know that. I just don't want to do that. I want to eat meat. I want to have that energy for the things I want to do and more power to them, right? But I think it's interesting that there's this whole range of choices that people have. And 
coming from being super, 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 super paleo, gung-ho for years, like vegans are maniacs, like, like anybody who would raise their child as a vegan is a child abuser, like that's how I thought. And now I realize that it's so interesting. I have, I've met people who raise, like this friend of mine who raised his child completely vegan other than breast milk. And the child is the most robust, healthiest, fast developing human. And I'm like, okay, the model is just incomplete. That's all. I, I just want to make the model as complete as possible, not just for myself, but for anybody who's interested in having, interested in having a more complete model. In other words, conclusion, it's not about the food. And this is so great because this is something Jack Cruz talked about to his credit a lot, but he made it like, oh, it's all about sunlight. And I think that's a huge part of it. But the internal light, I think it's maybe a bigger part than, than even the external. So I know we spoke about it now at length, but to me, again, it's just fascinating. The idea that, you know, as you said, I think there's a lot of empowerment. I think the audience, I think who, anybody who is listening to that can feel when you say, yeah, I'm just going to be resilient to this electromagnetic radiation, the cell tower that I'm driving past right now. Like there's so much power in that, I think. And of course, also I was talking to Nicholas Pinot. I did a podcast with him recently, the, the guy who wrote the non-tinfoil hack guide, the EMFs, a very popular you know, book uh, in that space. And even he, he said, you know, just cause you, if you know the fields there, okay, it's having a biological effect if the research is correct, whether you like it or not. So by, shrinking and stressing and contracting and getting in a fight or flight, you're only making yourself significantly more vulnerable. So for me, um, a, a really fascinating concept has become resilience, just the concept of, of our capacity to be resilient. Again, I don't have it figured out. It's really a early. I look forward to our conversation in two or three years, next one, whenever that is, because that'll be really evolved even further. But And the, we have this innate capacity to be resilient. And it's like, in the same way that people are focusing on in the, for example, elimination diet, carnivore diet world, people are focusing on cutting out everything that could possibly in the slightest way inflame their gut or, or stimulate the potential for inflammation, cutting it all out and just being fully pure. But then again, there's that assumption that the, the system is just going to heal itself. And if I had to take a shot at it, I would, I would say the healing energy is it's electricity, it's light. It's the energy that Becker studied that he proved is it's not even a guess. It's not even, I should say, a, a wild speculation. It's very well founded in the evidence that the healing energy is electromagnetic. And so we can use sunlight. We can go ground to your question. You know, we can block blue light at night. Uh, we can drink unfluoridated water. These are all the core steps of the light diet that we talked, the original light diet 1.0 that we talked about in the first episode, Extreme Biohacking Millennial Edition. Best title ever, by the way. <laughs> Even though I'm not, it wasn't a millennial then, <laughs> I still am not. When I, I remember he's talking about the first time he was on the show. It was great marketing. Yeah, you know? it was great. It was accidental. I, I didn't actually know what a millennial was. What, I was close enough. What I, is I'm your Gen Z, I think it's called. Oh, okay. Gen Z. But That's it's like funny. only one remove. Maybe it's a five-year well, People must have, A, clicked on it a lot because of the title. And then it got shared a lot because, I, as I told you, that your first episode, I could look today where it is. It's probably close to still in the top ten. But it was, I love seeing that you know because you're you had you had never been on a podcast no, right? yeah, like, one or two maybe but you're no. 18 never been on a podcast and i just vibed with you so i'm like cool let's do it and that and your show up until i don't know when that was a year ago i texted you or something yeah maybe it was two, in yeah. my top 10 so it was like 
Gabrielle Bernstein, Joe Dispenza, Bruce Lipton, you know, like all these big names, and then Matt Maruca. <laughs> I remember you sent it to me. I, if so my cool. memory serves me, I believe that it was even the number one for almost a year. And I think you texted me like yeah. Bruce Lipton knocked you off. Oh, yeah, I was yeah. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Great. Yeah, it, was, it was a massive hit. But I mean, even years later, it was still in the top 10. And, yeah. and often, um, Zach Bush is always up there too. Oh, he's amazing. Um, I don't like going in and looking at the stats that much because I always feel like I'm not doing well enough. But um, every once in a while, I can't resist and I peek in there. You know, well, we're at like 12 million downloads, and I tell people that, and they're like, "Oh my god, that's a lot." But yeah, but then I look at someone else's podcast and I compare myself to them, and they're like 35 million downloads. I'm like, "What the fuck? They started three years after me." <laughs> you know? so it's like, yeah, you once told me, you know, we can always compare. But uh, there's, there's despair, plenty, man. yeah, yeah. There's plenty of years in the world to listen, and plenty yes. more people. And you're resonating with people who are at a certain wavelength, you know. Like, 100%. there's only so many enlightened listeners who are prepared to take your information. Like you that. could just think of it that way, like right? That. Not everybody's ready for the, for the I depth. Like that. Well, you know, when the pandemic happened, um, I don't know. I didn't see like my downloads go down, but I knew when I started speaking my mind about what I was seeing and having people on like David Icke and different people that were controversial in their views. Um, I did notice on social media some pushback from people, you know, that are like, you're a right-wing conspiracy theorist or something, you know. Oh, for sure, <laughs> yeah. Kind of stuff. Um, you know. Big Trump uh, sign out front. Yeah, kidding. yeah. But, <laughs> That's uh, the running joke. Yeah, totally. But uh, I don't know that it hurt my downloads or, or not because you can't really quantify it but i will say the people that stuck around and at least were like i agree or i'm curious to know your perspective on the current events in the world at that time the people that stuck around um i think have become much more galvanized and committed to the kind of work that we do here you know because i was you know i had to make a decision whether or not to just be quiet and kind of blend in i even got an email from some marketing company that wanted me to uh they wanted to pay me to promote the um the fake vaccines at some point like in late 2020 or something i remember thinking first you obviously haven't looked at my website because there's all these podcast episodes debunking this whole shit secondly i thought how many like wellness influencers and people out there doctors and whatnot are getting those kind of emails and taking the money you know and promoting that shit anyway i digress it's crazy. Um, so thank you for your perspective. And it is a really interesting inquiry, right, to think about how much of our health and well-being comes from the external world, our environment, and the things we put on and around and in our body, right? And how much of it is actually coming from the light within and from mm. our consciousness. I think, it's, I think it's just more than we think. I remember being in a sauna in Bali in 2019. So I just was back in Bali three months ago now for the four months prior from December to March. And four years ago, I was in a sauna at this beautiful place uh, called Amo Spa, where people can go and take ice baths and cold plunge. And it was even there four years ago. It was amazing. I'm sold. Yeah, just yeah, exactly. I, I can tell you all the spots. But you had me an ice bath. Yeah, sauna. it was amazing. It's really good too. The sauna's hot. The ice baths. One of them is re- like way too cold. Even like I just can barely stand it. And they have jets, so it's like pumping on you. It's not like you just get your little uh, bubble. Oh, yeah. It's like pumping like a, a jacuzzi jet, not like a little stream. It's pumping. It's so cold. That's anyway. how I cheat in the ice bath is I'm like, get in there. It's no 34 degrees. And I, I sit still and then I'm like, this ain't shit. 
and then I'll move around and go, ah. Yeah, exactly. Imagine just like somebody going yeah. like this constantly. Well, that's why, that's why like polar plunges are great. When I go mm-hmm. to Colorado to visit my dad, oh, yeah. we'll, we'll go way up in the backcountry and I'll jump in like a glacial melt lake or uh, a river. The creek, rivers, yeah, because the, they're where, flowing. Where the water's moving, it's a whole different game. It, it is. It just sucks the heat out. So, so I remember this girl just really, she had this air of confidence. I don't know her name, didn't ever meet her really, but she was just talking in the sauna, British accent, and she was like, 99%, like she was talking to the friend, like it's 99% of health, of, of everything is your mind. And I just remember sitting there almost wanting to say something, like I don't think I did say anything, but like, nah. Because I was in this mindset, nah, that's such BS, it's all about your environment, it's all about what's happening outside of you. And that was the, the, just my projection of, of what I believed and had the people I had followed at the time. And again, nothing against that information. I do, as we've discussed, there's still something to be said. The evidence shows that these things have an effect, although I wonder the, the consciousness of the researchers genuinely how that affects the outcome of the study, because we know that you find what you look for often, even in science, and you know when they look for the particle, then the particle appears, but otherwise it's a wave, but then when they measure it, it's a particle again. So it's, it's interesting to consider that. I have no idea to what extent that influences the research, and you know, to just to apply it across everything to show I'm not gonna be biased here, to what extent does that apply about blue light? Potentially to a great extent. I just don't know, right? I feel really relaxed when I wear my sunset lenses at night, like really relaxed. In fact, I don't enjoy being out at all at night without them because the LEDs oh, on I the street in London, yeah, that. exactly, right? <laughs> so I like them, but how much of that is just the meaning I've ascribed to it? You know, somebody who just doesn't totally. know about it maybe just doesn't affect them, I don't know. Right. So it's just an interesting, it's an interesting line of inquiry. And anyway, four years later, I found myself in that same sauna thinking, that girl was probably right, or at least mostly right. And I was this arrogant, oh, I know everything, internally struggling, almost miserable at certain points. Like, okay, it's, it's just funny, the ones who seem or claim to have it mostly figured out often have it least figured out. And that's what I've learned. Like when I would go on podcasts in the past, just full transparency, you know, like I try to send love and compassion to my younger self, right? Like I showed up, I'm so proud of myself that I, had the confidence to ask you, hey Luke, can I go on your podcast? It spawned a great friendship. I think you know this, but your request for the cool glasses that me and my buddy Brian were wearing is what sparked the company Raw Optics because that's when I realized, wait, I can do the tinting. I remember- I still have that pair of glasses. Yeah, I should see them here while I'm here, but I remember emailing back and forth because a friend of mine was like, you gotta tell the story on the podcast, but really brief. I was emailing, I remember trying to connect you with a company that did the tinting, but it was complicated and I just remember it being a headache and I remember at one point thinking, wait, I just saw an article about how to do the tinting yourself. And I remember just thinking, you know what, let me just do it for you. And then we just did it and it worked out really well. We got the meter to test the lenses and everything. And then off to the races, I thought, well, maybe the rest of this quantum health niche, super niche community following, for example, Dr. Jack Cruz and similar folks at the time, maybe they would also want this. And then somebody asked me, and so it was like a custom tinting service. It was called Matt's Custom Blue Block yeah, before yeah, Optics. And yeah. people, one person asked me like, hey, can you just offer a set line of styles? And that's sort of, that's where the company was born. As I mentioned to you downstairs, I'm much more interested now in, in two things in particular. One, coming from the mindset of Dispenza and this more unique approach. I view my products as much as everything's based in science. So it's like one foot, Joe says, one foot in the real world, one foot in the quantum, so to speak, right? So, you know, that's how we have to be when we come back to this to this world, right? You can't be all gone, but you also don't want to be all absorbed in the, in the day-to-day. 
So I think, okay, well, for me, the real world perspective, quote unquote, following this example, is the science, right? You do the study and, okay, maybe the scientist's consciousness is creating an influence, but the mechanisms behind blue light are so strong and the anecdotal evidence and, and the even measured evidence we have from the aura partnership I mentioned earlier is very powerful. So I love that. Now, at the same time, I thought, well, wait a minute, if we know the placebo effect works and that all the people buying clear lens blue light blocking glasses, which don't block the right wavelengths of light at all, they're actually, I have a YouTube video called Clear Light, Clear Lens Blue Light Glasses Exposed on YouTube. We should put that in the show, uh, the show notes I, as well. I agree. It's very good. I test like 10 of the top brands of, they're marketed as screen glasses and I put them in front of the screen with the meter and they don't block any of the light from the screen. It's like... They're using these coatings that block blue light that's shorter wavelengths that you could find in the sun, but that's not what they're marketing them for. They're marketing them for screens. I'm so glad you brought that up because that wasn't in my notes, but that's something I really want people to understand. And, you know, thanks to you, I have my own blue blocking eyewear company called Gilded and you have raw optics, of, of course. course. I feel like I'm your little brother in the, in the, <laughs> I mean, in the blue light uh, eyewear space, but... I get messages from people and they're like, hey, what do you think of these blue light blocking glasses? And you look at them and they're clear. And it's a lot of the bigger brands, you know, your designer brands, Gucci, Versace, et cetera. And they have Tom Ford, you know, like great like optic companies. And they'll have a division of their eyewear, uh, you know, site that's like blue blocking, blue free, whatever. Mm -hmm. And they're all clear. And I'm like, these aren't doing shit. They're scamming some... I mean, whether or not they know they're scamming people, so many people are wasting their money on yeah. these clear glasses. It's just it's, like... It's actually absurd. Uh, because now every optician practically in the world, or at least in the country, but even in Europe, they offer this... called In the industry, it's called a UV 420 coating, meaning it blocks ultraviolet light and the visible light up to 420 nanometers in the blue range. And so, you know, wavelengths of light are measured in nanometers. And so basically, you know, goes visible goes from around 390, 400 up to around 760. So from basically indigo, blue, violet, all the way up to red. And then after that's near infrared and below it's ultraviolet, right? So if you block 100% of blue light up to 420, you're blocking wavelengths of light, which you would find in the sun because the sun has this full continuous spectrum. So you can make a case if you believe that sunglasses are really important for health and protection of the eyes and so on, which I don't believe. But if you did believe that, you could make the case that there's at least some benefit to using those outdoors to protect from ultraviolet and, you know, short wavelength, high energy, visible blue light. But again, I don't believe the premise that we should wear sunglasses, except in really extreme cases on maybe snow or, you know, on a boat when you're out for hours, etc. But most people just, it's a crutch because their eyes are weak. They wear the sunglasses, their eyes never adjust to the light. And so they not only have to wear them, but then they're also depriving themselves of, of the many benefits of light passing through the eye, which we've talked about in other episodes actually in thorough detail. I think our episode after the first London conference in 2019 was like the real deep dive on that stuff. Anyway, so the, the issue is that the range of blue light goes from 400 up to almost 500 nanometers. Screens emit blue light as a peak at four, it's centered at 455 nanometers, all modern LEDs, not just screens. And it, it's because it's not just like one wavelength straight up, it's a, it's a peak. So the light covers all the way down to around 430 nanometers and up to around 480, let's say. So 25 nanometers plus or minus each direction. But again, even if there's light at 430, 
these clear lenses, they basically go from full protection at 420, but tapering off to almost zero by the time they get up to 430, 435, meaning the spike that's coming of, of the wavelengths of blue light coming off of an LED literally just go right through that lens. And that's why it appears clear, because clear is the property of being translucent, means that trans in Latin means across, loose is, lux is light. So translucent just means the light passes through. So the lens is translucent, the visible light that we can see coming off of our screens goes right through, so the lens looks clear. You take out the blue light that affects our circadian rhythm, which is the same, this is the challenge for people to understand, I think, that the blue light that affects, that we call blue, the reason we call it blue light from a circadian rhythm standpoint, because there's nothing blue about it when it's talking to our circadian rhythms uh, systems in our brain, that's SCN, it's just wavelengths with energy. The only reason we call it blue is because the wavelengths that stimulate that system the, it's a non-visual system, the circadian rhythm, the um, suprachiasmatic nucleus and the hypothalamus, those same wavelengths of light happen to be those that make the color blue in our brain. So, but if they were the ones that made green, we'd call it green light that disrupts. But it's just uh, wavelengths of light. That's, that's a really important point because yeah. oftentimes when I talk to people about the blue light thing, and when you look at an LED like in a recessed light, it's white. The color is white, yeah, it's not yeah. blue. I think people are confused by that because they're like, what, uh, my lights aren't blue, like these studio lights right here are like mm -hmm. hardcore blue light. Mm -hmm. I don't know what spectrum they are, but they're... Yeah, I mean, the blue would be they like They look white, base. but we would call that blue light because that's how your, how your brain perceives that particular... Yeah, well, I would, I would even, just to put it another way, the blue light are the, the wavelengths that if you had just blue coming off these, you'd see like a light blue. It'd be like a blue-white, but it'd be much more blue appearing if you took out the green and the red that okay. would be in these panels. Yeah, so, but white light is just a combination of colors. And usually in, in the sun, it's the, it's the full spectrum, red, orange, yellow, green, blue, violet. Uh, that's, we would consider it white light. But again, you don't see it unless it bounces off a surface, right? Like if you have a white surface, like a shirt, like this white shirt I have on, you put this outside, the white isn't absorbing any of the wavelengths. The black absorbs everything. And so you don't see any light go back out. That's what makes it look black. White is reflecting all of it. And so that's white. And so the light you could say is white, just like when you look at stars in the sky, they're white. The only reason the sun's yellow is because there's so much light so close to us and at least according to traditional theories of the atmosphere and the way the earth works and so on, uh, there's this scattering process that happens with the shorter wavelengths, the blue wavelengths. So the reason the sky is blue and the sun appears slightly yellowish, golden, is because, again, the blue wavelengths come in like foxes running through a forest, and the ones that are going the fastest bump into trees, okay, and the others bob and weave, right? And the, in the same way, the shorter wavelengths with more energy, so the blue component, and ultraviolet as well, but we don't see that, the blue component is you could say it's moving not necessarily the fastest because the speed of light is constant but it has the most energy so it hits it bumps into so to speak like the wolves running through the forest it bumps into the air molecules oxygen and nitrogen and everything and it's scattered the most and so that's why when that blue light comes through or the light the white light of the sun so the sun is just white like any other star as far as we know but when the light comes through the blue is scattered, which is what makes the sky appear blue and the sun appear yellow. Because when you take out blue, you get yellow, and that's why these lenses are yellow. So it's the same thing. Anyway, cool. But uh, yeah. Now, and, and why why do you wear your 
and or the, do you call those amber I call or yellow? Them yellow sand, Why do you sand. wear the yellow ones in here? I assumed it was for the studio lights, but then I thought, well, we have it's not natural light because it's behind glass technically, but we have a bunch of light that's balanced coming yeah. in here. So I was curious why you wear yeah, them. I would because of these lights, because there's just okay. so much more blue. I, I can actually even feel being under lights like this, like a sort of dehydrating effect. Maybe I'm particularly yeah. sensitive, but um, maybe I just haven't strengthened my mind enough, <laughs> just all a belief. But uh, yeah, if we had these windows all open, and then yeah. it would be you know, driving up your AC bill like crazy, but um, then there would be near-infrared light coming in. So basically what the evidence shows, and something I've learned working with Dr. Alexander Wunsch more closely, is that near-infrared light, I mean, I knew this even before, but he's explained it in more detail and emphasized the importance in a great way. But basically, near-infrared light is this component of the sun that is uh, more than 40% of all the light coming from the sun is near-infrared. It's what we feel as heat, and it is very good for our cells. It activates the water in our cells. It structures it, as Pollock studied, and it also uh, improves mitochondrial function. So that's why all these red light panels are putting off red and near-infrared, which we can't see, which is why you know you don't see some of them turn on those... Yeah, when you look at your Juve panel, it looks like half of them are turned off because yeah. of the near-infrared. Yeah. So when we make our panel, we're going to do things a little differently to have a, a bit more, uh, let's say, I'd say sensibility to the whole thing. But anyway, so because we're, we're working on cool stuff like that, but that's another, another story. So anyway, um, near-infrared enhances the metabolism of our cells. It improves the mitochondrial metabolism, and especially in the retina. It helps energy production. Blue light, not that blue light's always bad, it's important from the sun, but it's more, let's say, stimulating, and it, it's very well documented that blue light wavelengths, this shorter wavelengths, they're more like ultraviolet, which people know it's damaging if you get too much. Well, short wavelength blue light has more energy sim in, in, in a similar way that ultraviolet does with too much ultraviolet. You can actually burn yourself in, with exposure to the sun, but with excess exposure to even blue light, again, closer to that ultraviolet high energy part of the spectrum as opposed to the red and near infrared, which is, it would be much harder to overdose on that, although you still could. Uh, this high energy can cause oxidization in, or I should say oxidation in the cells. So the production of reactive oxygen species, which are these very well known about in biology, these molecules that basically run around and steal electrons from different structures, which creates damage in the cells. It's, it's just a fundamental natural part of energy metabolism that we have reactive oxygen species. And some people think, oh, I should eat tons of antioxidants and just get rid of all of my reactive oxygen species. But that's, first of all, not possible. Second of all, misguided because they're actually very important for signaling. So like massively dosing on antioxidants wouldn't necessarily be a good idea from the, the little bit that I've studied about reactive oxygen species specifically. But that being said, the way it relates to light, so that's a, a separate, um, let's say it's a, it's a core detail of the mechanism, but when we're talking about light, what really matters is that we know that reactive oxygen species in excess are not optimal. So when you have blue light isolated from near-infrared, so you have cells exposed to blue light but not with the near-infrared present, there's a significantly higher degree of degradation in those cells and the mitochondria and everything because of, most likely because of this mechanism. When you have near-infrared, I've actually watched Dr. Alexander show me live videos that he has, like real live, um, real-time cell tests. 
the cells are exposed to just blue light, you can see the membranes and everything degrading versus red plus near infrared, or I should say blue plus near infrared light, there's significantly less cell degradation. So the near infrared in some way is offering this protective um, function and it's, it has something to do with mitochondria and water. Anyway, so that being said, when we're indoors and the windows are closed, there's a lot more blue light and the near infrareds for the most part being blocked out. Dude, especially, yeah. uh, you know, the way they build in hot climates like here in Texas. These are old windows up in the loft. We haven't yeah, replaced great. yet, but, um, and so they probably let more um, near infrared yeah. in. But all the ones downstairs, they, they almost have a little tint. Well, they mm -hmm. do have a tint and it's, it's perceptual for the um, climate control, right? Mm -hmm. For energy savings. And so they, like, you can go stand in front of those windows right in the sun. Exactly. It's, it's not even reason. warm. And you can have the direct sun on you and you yeah. wouldn't feel the warmth. And that, yeah. that could be an issue. This is something I think I learned from Wunch. Wunch? Yeah. Is that who? Alexander? Wunch. Yeah, Wunch. Wunch. With a V. v. They do their W's. Wunch. Yeah, Wunch. Wunch. We'll put Alexander Wunch in the show notes at lukestory.com slash Maddie. That was probably the most scientific, mind-boggling deep dive I've ever done. Yeah, and, and I can get help getting on, back on it. On light. Uh, yeah. But one thing that he told me that was really kind of alarming was that when you're inside, even if there's a bunch of windows, if the windows are closed... It's essentially the same thing as having a bunch of blue lights on, like electrical lights on, because it's it's filtering the infrared and one half of the UV spectrum. So there's no such thing as like natural light when you're indoors mm -hmm. because of the glass. Yeah. Do yeah. I have that right? Yes. You, know, yeah. you go you go look in an apartment or something. They're like, oh, there's a lot of natural light. I'm like, no, there's not. There's yeah, no natural exactly. light unless you open the windows. Exactly. It comes that through the screens, but if the windows are closed, like in your car. Yeah, like and one thing he told me too was I'm like, well dude, I'm I'm the time I was living in LA, I'm like, I'm in my car all day every day with the windows up when it's hot. So I'm just getting blue light exposure all day. And he's like, Yeah. He goes, if you just crack the window or crack the sunroof, you'll balance out the light spectrum in the car just from getting even just a little bit of that because it's so powerful from the sun, it overrides the filtered artificial light yeah, essentially comes being in. created by the glass. I've measured it actually. It's crazy. Really? Even with my meter. Yeah. So just, I don't have it with me today actually, but uh, I've measured it. So yeah, window closed or door, sliding glass door closed. And then there's clearly very little near infrared. It's being filtered out or just even open a little bit. Even if I pull the meter back or I step away a little bit, that near infrared still kind of pervades the room. It kind of so comes cool. in. So yeah, it comes in. I think that's a really good thing for people to know. I mean, this is super simple stuff, but I love how we're, we're combining. There's this information about like scientific, simple light information that people can use to improve their health with light. For example, blue blocking glasses, getting out, watching the sunrise, doing these things we mentioned earlier and in the first episode we ever did in detail and the mechanisms, why they all matter, sunbathing, and how people, like, because I, I, what I don't want to do is now that I've, I've learned more and I've sort of evolved, we could say, I don't want to just get, you know, come on podcasts and just say, yeah, light, grounding, duh, 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 you got to do all this stuff. And knowing that I did all that and that it's not the final stop. Like if, if somebody's looking for the end, I think a great take home message is that you're going to have to eventually, I, I think unless somebody's just really happy, they just get to a certain level in their development and they're like i'm really good with where i am right now i don't really want to go any further that might be different but if somebody really wants to go to their highest level of self 
self-realization or self-expression, at some point or another, we're going to have to look inwards. And I also feel super fortunate to have had this opportunity as yeah, basically a teenager at the time to have had this business sort of take off a little bit and get some exposure and have you know regular sales and income and this and that where I could travel and still run the business remotely and have this experience where I think, as I mentioned about, you know, for example, my friends who are just happy just doing, like eating whatever they want. They don't care because they're not in some pain or something that stimulate them, stimulating them to do something another way. Similarly, I think most people just go through life, like they have a nice job, they get a nice car, they have a wife, they have kids, like, and then there's this midlife crisis that comes along for many men in particular, I don't know how it is for women, but there's this phenomenon of the midlife, midlife crisis for men in particular where they really like, question everything. Like, what am I doing? What is this? I got this car, this watch, but I'm not really happy. Like, what am I doing? And I feel so fortunate because I, I can joke, but truthfully so that I've had a midlife crisis-esque scenario when I was like 19 or 20, just because I had this freedom. But I'm like this, you know, people would say, oh, so you live the dream, you're traveling this and that. And I'm like, yeah, I guess. But I didn't feel it yeah. inside, you know? I didn't feel it, even though I had gone to Bali and gone to Mexico and Costa Rica, or uh, not Costa Rica at the time, but Europe and all over. And so again, it depends on, it all depends on somebody's goals. But I think if somebody is listening and they're like, I want to find greater levels of wholeness. I want to feel better every day. I want to wake up and have like a, a more of a motivation. And I'm not, like I, I said this, I think from the beginning, I'm not, I don't claim to have mastered this field by any degree. I think there are people actually who, like true master yogis, for example, who they master the, they overcome the illusion of separation and they do master it. But, you know, there's not a lot of people necessarily who do that, at least that I know of. There are definitely in India. And, Exceedingly and so few on. humans yeah. are even driven to explore those realms. Yeah. And those that do uh, are largely unsuccessful. <laughs> well, yeah, they try and we, we just keep trying. But for, so for people yeah. who want, who just feel like there's more to life, I encourage people to approach this information with an open mind, open heart. Maybe look into somebody like Dr. Joe Dispenza. Maybe look into somebody like Paramahansa Yogananda if that's your you know, approach. If maybe it's Ramdas, maybe it's somebody totally different. Maybe it's some Qigong master, for example. Like I was so fortunate, I was exposed to so many different uh, spiritual teachers at a young age where the Ayurvedic doctor I was telling you about, this good friend of mine, uh, I only met him because I walked up to him because I saw him surfing every day and then I paddled over, I should say, I didn't walk up. But I saw him one day doing a standing meditation that I had only learned about this idea of a standing meditation through a friend of mine I met in Norway who was the student of some uh, Qigong master there who happened to live in Norway from French Canada and was teaching his kind of group and community there. And so it's just these pieces led to one to the next to the next to the next and I feel very fortunate about that. And I think... There's something really big there. And as I mentioned to you, you know, just downstairs when we were sitting talking about like the company, for example, like what I'm doing now with my business, I was telling you about how, you know, as much as there's been really great results and I've connected with amazing people, there's that part of me that was questioning, like, is this it? Like, am I, you know, I started this business when I was 18. Am I meant to be doing this for the next 20 years? Or, or you know, like when I had this doubt, this feeling of like, what, what am I doing? You know, do I not even the next 20 years, but even the next three or five years, do I want to keep doing what I'm doing or do, 
do I have a different vision of, of how my life is going to go between now and be 24 soon and then the time I'm 30. And so a really practical takeaway, I'd say, of the things that at least that I've shared so far here, what we've spoken about, is that having this mindset from Dispenza, from Yogananda, we can call it the unlimited mindset or the idea that, you know, as Joe says, we're greater than we think, more powerful than we know, more unlimited than we could ever dream. Having that idea in, in my mind has given me at least some framework that I didn't have prior to look at this, let's say, challenging situation for me about my business. It could be about anything in any part of life, I, I believe, really. I think this is universally applicable information. But to ask like a greater question and to ask, okay, what would this look like if I really was passionate about what I'm doing? And just asking that question, all of a sudden the answers start coming. It's like asking, you shall receive, seeking, you shall find. This is pretty old stuff, right? Nothing really particularly new. Um, you know, that quote I just gave us from a niche book. <laughs> you know, you may <laughs> kind of underground. No, I'm just playing. Yeah, but uh, the Holy Bible, of course. So basically, the idea is that anybody can create what they want and taking this information and like applying it to my own business has, when I asked that question, it came to me, oh, you should read Steve Jobs' biography. For somebody else, it could be a completely different book. Like, I don't know where that came from. I, I knew he had written a book, or I should say there's a book written about him. And I knew my mother and brother had read it like 10 years ago when I was really young and my brother was even younger. And I, I'm surprised he made it all the way through it because he was probably like 12 years old at the time, but he read it. And I remember it was in my consciousness. I had watched some movies, but so I asked the right question, let's say, and the universe just said, yeah, you need this inspiration. It came just as a total thought. Like, where do thoughts come from? I have no idea the ether, right? And, and just reading that made me think, oh my gosh, there are people who actually were inspired about what they were doing and a product business. It didn't just have to be some, you know, what Joe Dispenza is doing, which is amazing, like an educational company or, you know, like what you're doing, a podcast, which part of me was thinking, maybe I should just pivot and go education and this and that. But it's like, what if there's a way, and maybe that's what I'm here to figure out is, is how to synthesize this information and put it into condensed physical products which can represent, and this is what I came to believe after getting more into this spiritual work, in addition to the science, this is the part about one foot in the quantum, one foot in the real world, in addition to the science, what if the products, we know how effective the placebo effect is, and this is where we went off into the clear lenses actually, but so those have the placebo effect, let's say, working in their favor because people believe they work. And who am I to say that they don't work? Because if people believe they work, and we know the placebo effect is super real, they actually have to control for it in scientific studies, well then wouldn't it make sense when we market our products, in addition to knowing that there's a solid scientific foundation, so I don't want to sound like we're just peddling some kind of pseudoscience thing here. There's a super solid scientific foundation. But in addition to that, instead of making the marketing like it was when I started the company, because this was all I knew, you know, oh, if you're exposed to blue light, it's going to throw off your circadian rhythm and you're going to have this problem and da, 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 unless you buy your glasses. You know, like this negative mindset, just simple shift. It's like, yeah, you're good. And if you want to be even better, or if you want to open yourself up to the possibility of a new life, you want to start sleeping better, you want to start feeling better, you want to feel more whole, then this, we got a product for you that can help you with that. And so the product, in addition, again, being super based in science, now represents, as Joe calls it, a potential in the quantum field, uh, or just a potential, a new opportunity for somebody. And I think that's pretty cool, because then they can start to actually dream and the product symbolizes and represents that. And do you need the product for that? 
increasingly I'm coming to believe, this isn't, doesn't sound like the best sales pitch for my own company, but <laughs> increasingly I'm believing less and less and less that we need any products. But why not? If you believe in science and uh, you, know, you believe in the, the research that you're presented and you read it and you understand it and it makes sense to you, then why not use it? I use plenty of things. Like I have these Rudraksha beads, I'm told by Hindu, uh, Hindu doctors that these are very good for your energy field. They're considered the tears of Shiva and you know you always see like monks and people, yogis and everything wearing these beads. Well, usually they're a bit smaller, but necklaces, bracelets and everything, they're very popular. And I'm like, well, there's apparently scientific evidence. I actually haven't looked into it because that's not, it just hasn't been of a particular interest for me to go research that yet. I probably will at some point. But apparently there's science that these beads actually have an effect on physiology. They're like one of the few seeds that you can actually wear and actually affects your physiology. I thought that's kind of cool. So, or is it just because I'm ascribing meaning to it that it's protecting or supporting my aura? Both. I don't know. I'm with you Both. though. It's like, cool, let's have the placebo and the ascribing of, uh, of meaning and also scientific data. <laughs> like, when yeah. I'm into something, that's that's what I'm looking for. Like I, I like the energetics and the quantum stuff, and I know that that's all potentially very real and has an effect. But I'm just the way my I think I'm just maybe I have a decent balance of left and right hemisphere. I also want to geek out on some of the science, like the things you're explaining about the spectrum of light and and all that. Uh, even though you kind of just unmarketed yourself, I'm going to market for you. Oh, thank you. Let people know if you go to LukeStory.com slash raw optics that's r-a-o-p-t-i-c-s lukestory.com slash raw optics you can get some of matt's glasses and if you use the code luke you get 10 percent off great and i love i love marketing your glasses even though i sell my own glasses hey thanks man <laughs> but i'm gonna be honest you have a better selection of frames we both have the same manufacturer so like our science is comparable you know we're, we're actually blocking the light properly uh, we got you covered. But you have some dope frames. I look at your Instagram sometimes. I'm like, man, where do you get those? Those are dope. Most of us that are into health now realize that it's really important that we watch what we're eating and we're drinking, right? But I think a lot of people still don't realize how important it is to be mindful about the things you put on your body, not just in your body. So I'm talking about the lotions, the skincare products, personal care products, etc. That stuff goes right into the pores of your skin, and it doesn't have the opportunity to go through your liver and your detox organs to get removed. It goes into your bloodstream. Little random secret here. This is why Jimi Hendrix is said to have put LSD in his headband at Woodstock, because it goes right in your skin and he trip balls. Anyway, I digress. My friend Andy, who's been on the show a couple times, you can go back and listen to episode 18, created this company a few years ago called Alatura Naturals. And Andy... <laughs> I mean, if I could ever met anyone that's on my level of obsession with quality, he might even have me beat. He is completely obsessed with sourcing the best ingredients. You could literally eat his products. I mean, I, I don't know if you would want to eat some lotion or a clay mask, but you could and it wouldn't hurt you because um, here's the deal. Your skin actually does eat anything that you put on it. That's what I really want you guys to understand. So his ingredient decks are just nuts. Uh, my personal favorites are the night cream. I mean, I ration that stuff out like just a tiny little bit every night because I'm so afraid I'm going to run out of it. It's so awesome. The clay mask, his face lotion. This is what I use for anti-aging, brightened complexion, detoxification of my skin, removal of blemishes, hydrating the skin like crazy. 
and making it possible for me to be a beast with sun exposure. I don't know. I think for creeping on 50, my skin looks pretty good. And um, it's definitely largely due to Alatura Naturals products, which you can find at alaturanaturals.com. If you use the code LIFESTYLIST, you're going to save yourself 20% and get free shipping in the U.S. That's alaturanaturals.com, and the code is LIFESTYLIST. Um, talk to us about uh, why, because when I got your glasses, they were much different than in the early days of blocking blue light. Probably like you, I was going on Amazon and getting like weird orange and red goggles and stuff, and they were affordable. Uh, but they were, you know, pretty embarrassing. You had to really humble yourself to wear them in public because um, they looked ridiculous. But then I noticed when you started making your glasses that even when I would wear the red or amber ones, that I could still wear them driving, which I dangerously did one time. I got the true dark ones that are like really dark red, like the wraparound like Alice in Chains vibes ones. <laughs> Those also looked ridiculous. I remember one night specific. I remember the music I was listening to. I was with my friend Elliot. We were listening to Little Feet. We we're going through the Hollywood. I remember Hills. Elliot. Yeah. Yes, my homie, my OG homie, and we came to a red light, and I just blazed through. I was <laughs> oh like, "What God. the fuck?" And I'm like, "Oh my gosh, the glasses! I couldn't tell the color of the light." That's so funny. Yeah, it was very dangerous. So we're, yeah. to the, you know, just telling people seriously, like driving with the blue blockers at night can be dangerous. Jeez. But then I got yours, and. There's, I think because you're using melanin, like the same with gilded glasses, uh, there's color differentiation. So it doesn't just turn everything red, even though you look at the person, you're like, oh, why are you wearing red glasses? But subjectively, when you're wearing them, you can still differentiate colors, even though all of the blue and green spectrum is being cut out. Yeah. And it's also better for like watching movies watching TV, I wear mine when I watch TV at night and it, it doesn't like ruin it because it doesn't just turn everything red. Like you can't tell every single color like you could in, you know, a full spectrum color without yeah. the glasses. Tell us about about that particular piece because I think that's super interesting. Of course. So yeah, a lot of, first on True Dark, uh, a lot of people who had purchased those products came to us because they would fall apart. So just for people to have a fair, fair disclosure, like understand maybe the, Maybe it's changed to their credit. I am, I would imagine or hope that over time the quality and everything has improved, but just so people know that. Um, so anyway, yeah, we had to create a better product because they're a product. One of the first to put the right protection in stylish frames. So then Blue Blocks did that after we did it. Uh, True Dark also after, as far as I know, Swanwick was the only one kind of around that time with colored lenses that did block. A good portion, although even theirs blocked less. So as far as our uh, red lenses, we call them sunset lenses now. So the sunset lenses, they they block basically 100%, 99.99 of, of blue. It just depends, you know, if you, if you shine an insanely, incredibly intense blue flashlight through the lens, which we do in our testing, um, to, you know, just to, to max out the protection, uh, you know, we, we use really high standards for lens testing. So then you, you can still get some photons leaking through, but really high intensities like that you would never have um, in, in real exposure. But so effectively 100% blue light extinction, we call it. And then uh, green light is 90 plus percent as well. So it's not 100% of green, uh, but it's almost 100%. And so just letting through that little bit of green, we've deemed it determined it to be okay. One, based on the fact that there's not 
massive amounts of research that green is even disruptive to sleep anyway. There's some, but not tons. Um, but you know, just based on the basic mechanism and under, understanding the closer you get to 479 nanometers, which is in the blue range, of course, the more sensitive melanopsin is, which is the photoreceptor in the eye that is responsible for absorbing light and sp specifically around 479 nanometers and then stimulating the circadian mechanism in the brain essentially. So that being said, since green is closer to blue than for example, red, orange, and yellow, the colors of fire, the warmer colors, they're more gentle, let's say, then we can just naturally understand, okay, green's probably gonna be more stimulating if it follows the kind of normal laws of light and the way different wavelengths affect us. So it just makes sense, take out the blue, okay, you're gonna have one level of protection. That's what these yellow lenses are. These are blocking around about 90% of all blue light, a bit more. Uh, and these are offering a very high level of protection, even for daytime. Some could argue even more than is necessary, but we lean toward the side of more protection rather than less. So anyway, that's one. Um, but for nighttime, you block then all the blue and then vast majority of the green. Just based on that mechanism I just shared, uh, the fact that the green is also more stimulating than the reds and oranges and yellows, the idea is that the brain will have even less stimulation and less light overall, and overall light intensity also plays a role, so it's not just the wavelengths, although that's the that's a key factor, but just overall light intensity has a role. So for example, if you have if you stand in front of the juve panel or any red light panel at night and look right into it with open eyes, it's so bright that it can definitely disrupt your circadian rhythm, even though those wavelengths are very far from the blue. Oh, that's interesting. So like, yeah, the higher up you go in intensity, so I wouldn't recommend people do red light therapy much past sunset. A sauna space bulb is significantly less bright and more gentle when you compare side by side. So I would say it's probably a little bit less, let's say, risky. Yeah, um, they're not as bright. Exactly, significantly yeah. less bright. It's vast majority of the radiation coming off of that lamp is near infrared, not visible red. There's a little bit of visible red. I still wouldn't do it super late at night, but it, it's actually something that the heating, the sweating could actually wind you down more than the light will stimulate you, with, whereas with the juve, it's a totally different type of thing. A t different type of therapy. So I would do the LED-based red light therapy, sunrise, sunset, at the latest throughout the day, for example. Anyway, so let's see, where were we with this? So, <laughs> we're all over. Yeah. Uh, I was talking about, well, originally, my first part of the question was the color differentiation. Yeah, okay, gotcha. Just to wrap that up, so basically, yeah, so we take out the green uh, and the blue, and people get tired more quickly. That's like basically it. I'm, I'm kind of talking in circles, giving a lot more detail than maybe is necessary, but I want, I, I like people to have, they could skip it, but I like people to have the information if they want to hear I it do and too. understand it. Right? I love detail. Yeah, it, and it's, I, I agree. I'm, I'm a detail person as well, very much so. So when it comes to our products and everything we do. So the other, probably more important thing than the scientific part that I'm just sharing about, about the wavelengths and green being almost, or I should say more stimulating closer to blue than red and so on, and that's why we cut it out at night. We just know from subjective experience that if you wear the darker lens that removes more of the overall light, as well as it's not just overall reduction of light, but it's actually just a cut of the shorter wavelengths, blue and green, that people get tired faster. It's just, we just know why, because I felt it hundreds of people who were using the products early back in the day knew that from their experience and then we started selling them and people know we've heard so many anecdotal experiences that people who wear the sunset lenses just knock 
when they wear them, like get really tired. Really yeah, fast. I put I put mine on when the sun goes down. That's that's my rule. Yeah, on a good day. You know, I don't always remember, but especially like if I'm going to watch TV. I mean, we don't have any blue light really in the house except mm-hmm. a couple intentional light switches, like I was showing you. There's like a when we built the house, I made different circuits in the in some of the bedrooms. So there's two light switches, and two of them will be blue, and two of them will be red. But in the general vicinity, it's just incandescent. They still probably have a little bit of blue and green in them. But um, if I'm watching TV or driving or go, like tonight I'm going to see Dave Chappelle, I'll be wearing my glasses 100% as soon as the sun goes down. Great, yeah. yeah. And, it, yeah, and I mean, it's and has really, a effect. it's really helped my sleep. I don't think people get how much it helps your sleep. It sounds too easy, I think, for people that have real sleep problems. I mean, I'm sure people that have clinical um, insomnia you know maybe that alone is not going to like heal that for them but uh, when people hit me up for sleep hacks um, I'm like you can't overstate it and it's like people are like yeah 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 but isn't there a supplement or something like dude seriously if you just when the sun goes down outside your house you just pretend that it's sunset inside the house and you put your freaking glasses on yeah and, and then it doesn't matter what light bulbs you have in the house. I mean, it's kind of, you know, I don't really like wearing glasses. Just on my face, it's kind of uncomfortable. So that's why I've adjusted that lighting in the mm-hmm. house. But, like, if I didn't want to spend all the time, energy, and money and dialing in, like, a super biohacking geek, every light fixture in the entire house, um, a really easy fix for sleep is just stop looking at blue light after dark. Yeah, of course. Like candles or yeah. warm lights or if you can get them incandescent light bulbs. As I mentioned, we're working on... The future of lighting, but I don't have timelines right now. So, it that's is what, what we is. need. We we've got the um, uh, Bond Charge. You know, they have the great uh, yellow and red, and then they have a full full spectrum bulb. Uh, they're they don't flicker. They're affordable. I mean, those those are rad. I have them in a bunch of places in the house, and I travel with those. It's nice yeah. that they're LED because they're really light and they don't break. Because mm-hmm. I used to travel with boxes of incandescent bulbs really? wow. in my suitcase and i've never broke one but it's like you know it takes up a lot of space they're heavier it's not practical to say the least um but i'm you know i'm just a super light geek which is probably i've had you on the podcast 15 times yeah. <laughs> but another another hack that i did recently is i got some um brake light tape from amazon and if I can, I'll put this in the show notes, but it's pretty easy to find. So you know when you like you break a tail light on your car, right? Well, they sell this thick red tape that you put over the broken light so that you still have red tail lights. So I took that tape and like put it on every little indicator light in the whole oh, house that's and inside the in the sunlight and sauna. They have like a chromotherapy red light in there, which is great, but then the little panel produces a bunch of blue light. And I usually sauna at night. So I took one of those like kind of hard plastic tape panels from Amazon, just cut it specifically and put it over that. I did it in the refrigerator, the hood range, fan light, like all wow. those lights. That's yeah. So, so I'm hardcore. But it's much easier, people, to just like, when the sun goes down, you have your raw optics glasses, your gilded glasses, whatever, and you just throw those on yeah. and you're done. That's amazing. And then you just live your life and you don't have to do all the crazy stuff that I do. I agree. I'm glad you I'm glad you mentioned it because, yeah, it's, for me, it's such a normal part of my life. Like, I'm so accustomed to it. When I'm out, it's just natural. I always have my glasses. I beat them up like crazy, and I've well, destroyed my case. But um, well, dude, one the thing is too. Once you get used to it, like not having blue light at night, it's so obnoxious. Like times when I forget to bring my glasses and I'm out driving. <laughs> yeah, you become like the oh. headlights. You're just like 
how do people even deal with this every yeah, day? Like, I know, it's, it's insane. crazy. Dude, I'll put down my visor in the car and like, <laughs> know, it's so hide my face, you know? And just, Allison drives at night a lot because I'm old. Um, it's just safer if she drives at you're night. You're old. You're yeah, safe. Yeah, you're not that yeah, old. Yeah, I'm, I'm an elder. Um, <laughs> but then I can start waving, waving my finger at people one of these years. But no, I'm so sensitive to gnarly blue light now because it's been years. I mean, since the time I met you, whatever year that was. I mean, that's around the time I got hip to this stuff and started really just integrating the practice into my life. And it, it seems like for people listening, it seems like kind of neurotic and it probably is kind of a pain in the ass only in the beginning because you get so annoyed by blue light and flickering light and shit like that after you've gotten accustomed to blocking it that you can't go back. I mean, you just can't. I mean, maybe you can. I can't. Yeah, no, you know? I'm, I'm, I'm totally with it. It's just, it makes so much sense. We can connect our bodies or reconnect our body's natural circadian rhythm with the external environment exactly. and it feels so good. That's the thing, dude, like with grounding, the example I was giving of just throughout all of time, all beings are grounded all the time, right? In our evolution and in how many years the, this version of human has been here is debatable, but it's been a few hundred thousand years probably, right? Let's say. Even if it was only 10,000 years that we've been here, if we were created and just dropped here. However your views frame that, before the advent of electricity and the incandescent light bulb, the only color light human beings evolved to see and perceive is light by fire and moonlight, I guess. Yeah, right. which is extremely dim. Like it, it almost yeah. doesn't even compare. It's like moon is less than it's one lux or less compared to on a bright sunny day. Like today, it's fifty thousand to a hundred thousand really? lux. So it's our eyes adjust significantly. Right. Like so, right now your pupils are very uh, contracted yeah. because of how much ambient light there is. Just even in this room, and if you went outside, they'd probably contract a little bit more. Yeah. Uh, whereas at night, imagine like I mean, you could probably see my pupils too. They're probably pretty small. Yours are yeah. pretty small right now. Like yeah. I mean, like tiny almost. Yeah. And you go out in the moonlight, and they're like as big as oh, like, that looks like you're on mushrooms because they get they get so big <laughs> just because it's so dim. So your eyes letting in so oh, much that's more light. So the moon, it's you perceive it as like oh, it could be really bright, but. It's, it's only one lux. Yeah, that's crazy. Because I've thought about that when going outdoors at night, and I'm like, oh, maybe I should have my glasses on because it's a full moon, you know. The full, yeah, the, even the full, the full moon, maybe at its brightest, could maybe be a little bit more, but it's not significantly oh, okay. more. It's, it's orders of magnitude less than the sun. I mean, you could look right at the full moon and not even feel it. You look right at the sun, you'll burn your retina in within yeah. less than a second. Yeah. All right, hopefully we all know by now that sauna therapy is really good for you. The unfortunate fact is, my friends, is that we live in a toxic, stressful environment. So the scientifically proven benefits of a sauna are a no-brainer. Now, the problem is, of course, that many people don't have the space at home or cash in the bank to afford a full-size sauna. Well, our homies over at Bond Charge solved this with their brand new infrared sauna blanket. From blue light glasses to red light therapy and EMF management and circadian-friendly lighting, Bond Charge products help you naturally address the issues of our modern way of life effortlessly and with maximum impact. So the, the Bond Charge sauna blanket is badass because it's lightweight, extremely portable, quick to set up, and very compact to store away when you're done using it. 
And thankfully, they paid attention to the details and made this thing very low EMF, and it heats up to get you sweating much faster than a traditional box sauna. It works by raising your heart rate to that of physical exercise so you burn calories as you chill and listen to music, meditate, or even read a book. In fact, and this is crazy but true, you can burn up to 600 calories in just one session just lying there. Pretty sweet. And of course, sweating helps you eliminate heavy metals and other toxins, which are unfortunately so prevalent in today's world. But I gotta say my favorite part is that a short session in the sauna blanket releases a grip of feel-good endorphins, which leaves you feeling euphoric after your session. Combined with the cold plunge, this is my number one mood booster, hands down. All right, are you ready to get your sweat on? Here's what you do. Go to bondcharge.com and use the code LIFESTYLIST to save 15%. That's B-O-N-C-H-A-R-G-E, bondcharge.com. And again, the coupon code is LIFESTYLIST for 15%. What was I talking about? You were talking about... We've been at this for a long yeah. time. <laughs> Uh, blue light blocking glasses, circadian rhythm, yeah, yeah, grounding. Yeah. Oh, 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 yeah. No, it was there. It was the evolutionary piece. Yeah. Right? A, a little neurotic to like change all the light bulbs in your house and pay a contractor to switch the things and put on your glasses. Like it can get neurotic and paranoid. I own that. Okay. Yet at the same time, if you just think from pure logic, how long human beings have been lighting our world at night with fake sun, which is light bulbs. It's like, you know, one grain of sand on a long beach <laughs> in terms of yeah, time, right? Of like course. we've evolved to be exposed to warm colored light at night. Like that's how our bodies yeah. are controlled and wired. So as neurotic as it might be in some cases with a guy like me who takes it to the extreme, it's also just common sense. And it's one of those things it's like, I don't know if you have this feeling, but because humankind has drifted so far from nature that doing something extreme, like not making it daytime when it's nighttime inside your house seems extreme. I feel like I'm the sane one <laughs> and the rest of the world who doesn't care about this stuff are actually the weirdos. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, totally. Because it's like, the, the thing, of course, everyone wants to be the one who's right, but it's not even from an egoic perspective. I mean, just zooming out, it's like, wait a minute, because I've been critical of myself sometimes. Like, God, I'm kind of the weird guy at the party that has my bra optics on or whatever and feel, you know, like um, self-conscious about that. And then I've had the thought, like, wait a minute. No, I'm actually the smartest motherfucker in the room <laughs> and the most sane. These guys who are staring at their phones and like, you know, that's it working one. under fluorescent lights or whatever i'm like you guys are actually all the crazy ones i'm just being normal yeah that's a really like i was being a normal person pretending that the industrial revolution didn't happen and that we're still sitting around campfires yeah totally yeah i i'm with you i have it's been so interesting like i just you know normally on podcasts i'm talking about light and and this all of this type of stuff but i'm also pondering more and more just how much I've traveled in and of itself is like astounding. I don't know if even rock stars sometimes travel as much as I do. I think they're the only ones. Um, you know, I looked at this list of where I've been in the last, since I was out of the country, and it was ridiculous. When I re-entered, I was like, oh, I should probably list all the places I've been since I last left the country. There's like 40 or 50 different places. I was like, whoa. Anyway, that being said, there's, I see a lot of people in different environments, and yeah, it's just, I mean, you can already see this just going to Austin. 
but going around the world, it's even more clear that nobody knows about this stuff in general. Yeah. Most people don't know about this stuff. It yeah. is cool when very occasionally somebody does spot me or recognize me that, oh, you're the guy who started optics. Very, very rarely, like on the grand scheme, but in the grand scheme of things, but uh, it happens occasionally, uh, more often within like healthy conscious communities. That being said, I'm also pretty optimistic about where the world is going. Uh, I think that's one thing that is sort of off right now that everybody sees, or not everybody, but many people seem to think that the world's just going absolute chaos. And uh, yeah, the interview I was listening to last night with uh, Andrew Tate and Tucker Carlson, as we had discussed, uh, very interesting one. It kind of can heighten this sense that there's this big control narrative going on and this and that, because that's basically the message of that interview. And I was intrigued because a friend sent it to me and I thought, okay, I'll you know, hear, hear this guy and his story and what's the deal. I try not to judge people just based on what I hear in the media being reported. And there is definitely, I mean, without anybody like Andrew Tate talking about it, we know that there's this narrative going on of, of sort of making masculinity uh, a bad thing, like toxic masculinity. Of course there is, Talk, there are toxic forms of masculinity, uh, but the way that if you look systematically that the things that make men men are being more and more considered to be negative, at least in the West, in the United States, in the Western Europe, I find it really interesting where I went to other cultures, like for example, uh, Russia, or obviously they're involved in a very politicized war right now, so they don't have a, a good rap at all. Uh, globally, but there's more to the story than what the U.S. you know mainstream media is reporting, of course. But even in Eastern Europe, like Serbia, Bosnia, you know these more traditional cultures, it fascinates me in retrospect how how much more masculine the men were, just at a baseline, maybe because of their fathers, like just people even I knew. Just it was just the culture and women, just really wanting to be women, like wanting to be. When I say wanting to be women, I mean traditional female roles, like wanting to be a mother, wanting to stay at home, wanting to have a man who's strong and confident and providing for her. I, that's one thing of all the traveling I've done that has uh, really stuck out for me. And, and I've even gotten interested, and we could go down a whole rabbit hole, but there's a part of me that's all like, geez, when I like have kids and I'm you know living in different places, like the U.S. is less and less desirable to me, you know? I've even thought, it's well, it's one of three countries in the world, I believe it, so it's the U.S. and North Korea and Eritrea, which are the only countries that tax you based on your citizenship, meaning that even if you go and domicile in like Switzerland or the Bahamas, you're paying zero taxes or 5% taxes or something really low. The U.S. says, listen, whatever you're not paying them, you gotta pay us still. That's how it works, yeah. Whereas any other citizen of any other country, if you move to the Bahamas or Switzerland, you're, you're just going to pay them taxes, basically. But the U.S. says, well, no, you take out what you paid them, but you pay us the rest of what you would have paid us. But if, for example, if this is the weird thing. If I move to Spain and I'm paying 50% taxes, well, then the U.S. government says, okay, yeah, you're good because you already paid them that amount that you would have paid us, but you're good, so you don't have to pay us anything. But so it's just like the FOMO sort of from the government. It's like, well, yeah, if you pay somebody else, we're cool. But if, you, if you're paying 0% or 5% taxes because you're on the Cayman Islands or Bermuda or whatever, well, then you got to pay us what you would have paid rubber, us. It's rubber baron uh, tax theft FOMO. I've thought about that, though. Hey, have you listened to uh, Rick's 
podcast, Tetragrammaton. Yeah, yeah, pretty extensively. Did you hear the one, I think it was last week, with yeah, the Andrew travel Anderson. guy? Yeah, yeah, that's, where, that's so what brought this dope. to my mind. That's what brought, I'm so glad you listened to that. Yeah, that's so what brought this great. to my mind. But so this guy, I've been following him actually for years. So Rick sent me, he texted me the episode because when he does an episode that he thinks I'll like in particular, he actually sends it to me. And I'm like, oh, wow, the guy making the podcast is sending this to me. I love it. But yeah. Rick's a really good guy, obviously, you know. In fact, I met Rick because of you, because you had recommended our glasses to him. Right. And then he heard the podcast, our first podcast, and he actually sent me an email and invited me to come out and, and uh, that go was, to L.A. And then that was, so that was the origin. It's kind of nuts that, that, that was things great. that one podcast can do. That was so do. fun. Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> that was in his house, that uh, the one that burned down in yeah. Malibu. And you are like staying on his other property and he gives you a Range Rover to drive <laughs> <laughs> I was like, damn, Matt's living large, man. He's <laughs> chilling. He's really Malibu. It's a funny moment. Living the dream. Yeah, it's that was just, fun. I love Rick. as just He's an amazing person. He's very inquisitive, uh, very, very curious guy and probably the most one of the most curious people I've ever met, just the way Incredible he has. Incredible human. Yeah. And yeah. so it, I love, so he sent me the podcast of Andrew Henderson and I thought to myself, I've heard that name before. Like, who is this guy? But I'm thinking he's some, because Rick's interviewing celebrities and actors. I'm like, he's some some British model dude or what? I don't know, something. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, whatever, some actor. And then I'm like, oh my gosh, no, this is the guy I've been following, Andrew Henderson, this a nomad capitalist. I'm like, how did Rick find this guy? But of course, if you're looking about this stuff because you're traveling like Rick is outside of the country a lot, he's the guy you would find. Yeah. And yeah, I listened to the episode on top of what I'd already heard from him on YouTube and stuff. And that's, that's what spurred this conversation. It got me thinking a lot. It, I've already been thinking about this because I spend so much time outside of the country. I'm like, I have to pay from last year like a lot of money in taxes to the government. I'm like, I spent less than 20 days in the country. Like, well, in that, within that year, within that calendar year, to be fair, 2022, I probably spent like two full months. Not even. No, well, month that and a half. guy forfeited his... He renounced his U.S. citizenship. Renounced his citizenship. I'm very yeah. much on... Very likely that's the path. You're going to be the trailblazer. I have an Irish citizenship. Yeah, but I mean, somebody's got to do it. But it's... The so, one thing about him, though, that bummed me out, not about him, but just his perspective was he's not a fan of Costa Rica. You know, I, I like, heard that. <laughs> I heard that, but that's just because he's a city guy oh, and he's okay. a different... Like, he said, yeah, I'm not going to be the guy waking up at 6 a.m. meditating in the morning. He's just a totally different kind of right, guy. He's that's more, true. He likes cities. Yeah, he's an yeah. intellectual type guy. He seems like a great guy. I'd love to yeah. speak with him at some point but um he and you could probably get him on your podcast but um he is a very intelligent person but i think that's just not his vibe he, he did mention it like he said it's like a police state i was just in costa rica while i was listening to this i was like i don't see anything about this being a police state the costa rica thing, is so chill I, I mean they were a bit funky i think their president is tied into the klaus schwab like demonic mm-hmm. scene a little bit I was observing them not having gone there during the pandemic, but they were definitely super masky and vaxy and weird, um, which was kind of a bummer com- comparatively to some other yeah, countries that would be appealing to me with good weather and good culture and all that. They're tied into the United States to a great degree, but they've also sort of tied themselves in with China a little bit. I'm not a fan of what China's doing at all, but you know they're they're just a small country that they don't even have an army they abolished it and they put that budget in education so i think they kind of depend on the u.s for protection so it makes sense but anyway there's it was fascinating from that podcast it got me thinking about all the places i've traveled like well i've been in europe i love europe but i haven't found a particular town or city where i think i would actually live like i love to spend for example a month here or a few weeks there a month in spain or 
a uh, few weeks in Rome or Athens or whatever, just on Have an island. Have you been to uh, Majorca yet? Yeah, Majorca is amazing. It is unbelievable. That's the only place I've been in Spain. Okay. So dope. A friend of ours just moved there. She's like, come over and stay anytime. Like, don't say that in vain because we'll be on a plane. I love yeah, that Yeah, it place. is really cool. And so that's, oh, that's kind of it's a great representation of Europe. The vibe is phenomenal. For me, I'm really interested in, in what I'm doing with my mission, the business. And so... I'm thinking about where I would go more based on the kind of intellectual connections I would have with people. Not to say that that's totally absent in a lot of places in Europe, but I'd have to go to more of like a city. And I actually don't mind a city. I'm kind of can get over the EMF part where I can just go into the outskirts or somewhere in like a little, you know, cove, you know, by the beach or something where I'm just not in the beam of a massive apartment building and towers. But anyway, I think. I haven't been to Lisbon, but I think Lisbon, Portugal is a place I could probably spend time, or Biarritz um, in France, places where they have good surf. Um, what time so, is it? It's 4.45. Okay, oh, thank we you. We just, for those listening, we, <laughs> I just got the Apollo cane from Allison. Yeah. Let's go. <laughs> I've been monitoring the time, but uh, you know that we can't trust me looking at a clock to be able to tell what That's time right. it is. Yeah, well, because I'll look at it'll be four forty-two, and I'll be like, "Oh, yeah, we got to leave at five. We got a good two hours." Mm-hmm. Like, I, have, <laughs> I have no concept That's of time. So funny, I love. I, it. I saw this thing on uh, social media yesterday where a woman had been fired, and she was claiming to have been discriminated against because she has something called time blindness. And so she was continually late to work. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to use that. Time I'm time blind too. Anytime I'm late. Yeah. And then someone, of course, commented like, yeah, maybe she's time blind when it's time to go to work. But you can bet your ass when work day is over, she's out of there on time. Yeah, that's funny. That's very funny. Anyway. All right. So finish your thought and then we'll, we'll tie a bow on this thing. Just uh, that's all to say about uh, the different places traveling as far as living and this idea of a nomad capitalist, Andrew Henderson. Um, Two main things. One, I love Bali. So of all the places I've thought about where I've been, Costa Rica, Bali, love them both. They're amazing places. I, I do recommend people check those out. Um, they're, they're not like sort of secluded secret spots anymore. So there's tons of people going there anyway. So, if, you know, people with good vibes are like, ah, I'd love to check that out. Check it out. Europe obviously has great vibes. Uh, and then the U.S., I love Austin. Like I got here and I was hanging out at Barton Springs. I've been there probably in the last four days. I've been here three days. I've been there probably 10 times. Like I go morning, afternoon, evening, repeat. Um, so anyway, that's something. And then one other thing that I just think is interesting and totally unrelated to most of what we've spoken about today, but a little bit relating to the cultural uh, aspects of masculinity, femininity, certain cultural traditional values beyond that too, is seeing the rise of a country like China or you know, India or Saudi Arabia, the Middle East and Russia. I've started to think more and more um, after even listening to the Tate interview, like these countries, they're already emerging and evolving. These are probably going to be the countries that are ruling the world, maybe Brazil. So it's just interesting to think of how the United States is sort of degenerating in some ways and how these other countries might rule the world and how in every way, whether we're employees or employers, have our own business or not, like how we could position ourselves positively to be really successful in this sort of changing world. I don't know 100%. how it's going to go, but it's an We're in the thing. fall of Rome right now, my friend. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, very few people see it, but... Seems seems to be not that I'm an expert on world geopolitics, but yeah, we're in a we're in a crazy scenario right now. Well, hot damn, dude! I think we did it, my friend. Great, thank, thank you. you. Yeah, yeah. Well, when you when you hit it. me up, you know, I'm gonna be in Austin for a couple of days. Let's hang out. You know, I'm 
immediately thought, I'm well, so glad. we would have just been talking about mostly the same shit. Yeah, of course. <laughs> so why not throw a mic on and let other people benefit from at least the parts of it that are inspirational or educational that aren't just shooting the shit. But mm -hmm. man, I love you, dude. You're a great person. You're Thank a good you. man. Doing great work in the world. It's been amazing to see your trajectory and your, you know, just evolution from the physical to the metaphysical and how you're building a model now with yourself and your personal life and your brand where you're integrating both of those. And, you know, I just think it's, it's wonderful to see and uh, so happy that you've been successful doing what you're doing, man, traveling around the world. You're living the dream, dude. Thank you, brother. Yeah. And Are you more still... and more it feels like it actually since doing the, yeah. the work. You know, yeah. I really now I can look and say I actually feel it. I, I feel excited about what I'm working on because I asked the bigger questions and I said, how can I change this? And yeah, maybe it takes a couple of years, but some people it takes less. But Are you really cool. uh, single? At the moment, yes. Yeah, that's what I'm waiting for next. <laughs> uh, you travel maybe too much to, you know, I've had I've had uh, a few relationships in the past couple of years. So. Oh, good, okay. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah so we got to get him cast on Love Island. <laughs> yeah, Love Island, it's that's so Allison's funny. favorite oh, show. Oh, my God. <laughs> I think he, was, he would do great, honey. Yeah, that but I, I look forward to... Uh, you know, when I was your age, I certainly wasn't trying to settle down at 24 or anything. But yeah, I look forward to you meeting a great person. You know, you're going to meet your you're going to meet your equal at you know consciousness speaking. You know, you're such a loving, kind guy. And thanks, brother. I have so many challenges. I, I just I can't wait to meet the the woman who's going to be your match. Thank you. Well, yeah, I look gonna, forward. It's going to be fun. So, ladies, listening, I don't know if you're in <laughs> any of the countries to which Maddie is traveling and spending time, but. You can uh, track him down. What's your Instagram? Uh, oh, for the DMs, no. Uh, the light, the light diet. So my Instagram is the light diet. The light diet, not yeah, the not blue, the light, blue diet. light diet. Okay. Just the light, the light diet, diet. Right. Um, because it's about light in the electromagnetic sense, sunlight, blue light, etc. It's also about light in the sense of actually eating lighter, and then yeah. it's about light in the third sense, which is the spiritual light, so inner light. Love so it. It has a few meanings. Let there be light until we meet again. Likewise, thank you, brother.